When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening. So the other day, my wife and I were going for a walk, and uh, she said to me, do you ever get worried that the longer you do this show, four hours a day, five days a week, used to be five hours a day, but essentially now four hours a day, five days a week, that you're just going to run out of things to talk about? Do you're going to run out of thing, of topics or to, to bring up, of stories to tell, of guests to interview? And I had to stop and pause because I'd never really thought of that before. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. I don't think so. There are days, though, where I have the radio equivalent of writer's block, where I think, all right, maybe I won't be able to come up with enough today. And then I realize that for whatever reason, that will never happen on this show and that will never happen to me. And I'll tell you what happened. I keep sort of a a running list of topics on my computer. I keep all my notes on my computer. John Gambling used to keep a file folder where he'd put put in all the articles that he might talk about in any given morning. And if he didn't get to it, he'd always have it there the next day. I basically do the same thing, only it's a digital equivalent. And so I said, well, you know, let me look through the list of topics on my topic list that I have not gotten to. Let me just see how long it is. And so I look through this right before the show. It's 48 pages, 48 pages. And when I say it's 48 pages, it's not 48 pages of notes. It's a, it's a list, single spaced of 48 pages of things that I might want to talk about. So I said, this is getting a little unmanageable because I'm just adding stuff to it. And I, what, I'm taking off maybe a dozen subjects a day, but I'm adding 20, 30 topics a day. So I decided <clears throat> what I wanted to do this morning is I'm going to look through this list for anything I abs- absolutely, positively must mention, cannot live without mentioning, and then I am retiring all of these topics that have been on my to talk about one day list and next uh, tomorrow I am starting a new clean slate I'm throwing away my existing topic list and I know this means nothing for you because you don't even know what was on the topic list for instance you'll have no idea how interesting it might have been to hear me opine about uh, Fred Savage and the Wonder Years or removing classic books or Liza Minnelli at the Oscars or uh, the religion of the Big Lebowski or the passing of Robert Morse you have no idea how interesting or uninteresting on any of those subjects would be. But uh, there was one subject on my topic list that I said, OK, well, this is one that I want to make sure we talk about before we before we 
turn the page on this figuratively and figuratively and literally. And that is an issue going on in Maine. I'll be honest. I think every public official, city, state, federal, international, really needs to make the situation in America's prisons a focal point of their attention. Because the bottom line is prisons in this country cost the taxpayers a boatload of money, a boatload of money. Additionally, there are so many public safety ramifications, not only to the inmates that are housed there, but to the correction officers. And if you have something like um, a COVID outbreak or a pandemic of, of violence going on in prisons, that's bad for everybody. Additionally, about 80 to 90 percent of people that are in prisons, both state and federal in this country, will one day be released. And that is so frightening because if you look at the conditions in most prisons, they're abysmal. They're absolutely abysmal. You go to uh, most state prisons, and I don't want to single any out, but you go to most federal prisons, and there's really, in most cases, not everybody, but in most cases, the thing, there's no rehabilitation that goes on. There's violence. There's drugs. There's a lot of sitting around, occasionally some weightlifting, some fights over the television, some fights over the telephone, and there's a lot of training to become a better criminal. There's not really a lot of training to become a productive member of society again. So I know, and look, I'm a tough-on-crime guy. I, I love uh, people like Rudy Giuliani and Bernard Carrick, but I honestly think one of the best things that Donald Trump ever did was the First Step Act, his bipartisan prison reform legislation. And I think one of the worst things that Joe Biden ever did when he was in the Senate was the Biden crime bill, uh, which ended up with a lot of people being locked up for decades in many cases, until they were freed by President Trump. But I don't want to relitigate legislation from the 1990s. I know there were a lot of communities that were tortured by violent crime, and I don't really want to get into the public events of, the, of 1994. I want to talk about where we are now. And I want to talk specifically about what Maine is doing. Maine. You know, Maine does a lot of interesting things. And one of the most interesting things that they are doing at the maximum security main state prison. Now, when you understand maximum security, the kind of people that go to a maximum security prison are, by and large, violent criminals. Uh, Martha Stewart's not going there for lying about insider trading. Uh, Rod Blagojevich is not going there for trying to sell a Senate seat. These are hardened criminals that end up in a maximum security state prison. And they are doing something that I just love, and I wanted to tell you about it before we moved on to a lot of other issues, because we have a great show for you. We're going to talk about the border with Michael Cutler in just a minute, because there's a lot going on there. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the situation in Eastern Europe with uh, a retired uh, special forces officer by the name of Michael Hawk, who also is uh, very, very vocal on the issue of veteran suicide. We're going to get into that. But one of the things they do at this maximum security prison in Maine is they require every inmate to hold some kind of job and the most coveted jobs create items that you can buy. So inside the prison's industries program, men are busy handling tools, shaping wood, carving it, creating products for sale from bowls and birdhouses to tables and other furniture. It gives residents a purpose. It's the best part of their day. 
That's according to Ken Lindsay, the industry's program manager for the past 10 years. Around 100 to 130 of the prison's 650 residents, which is how the main Department of Corrections refers to them, not inmates. They call them residents. They work their job six to seven hours a day, five days a week. They get along well with each other. They take direction from staff. It's a good working environment. Now, what I was going to say before, and I again, I have this tendency to, I think one of my greatest strengths is also my greatest weaknesses. You know, I, I know a lot of hosts. I don't want to mention anybody by name. They write down their whole show and then they just read it. I don't do that. Because I like whatever I say to you to be a bit extemporaneous. But what does that lead to? That leads to you follow the attention deficit disorder tangents that I go on. And what I was about to say is I realize a lot of tough on crime people don't want to make prison a pleasant experience for people. They don't want to make it so that people who assault others, who rob from others, who rape others, who are what you would consider the dregs of society, you don't want to send them to Club Med because you don't want to reward them for hurting other people. I understand that. However, the thing that you need to understand is with most of them coming out one day, it does no one any good, not the least of which is society at large, to have prisons be this modern-day gulag archipelago. And the more productive an experience you can have in prison, not only the better off will the inmate be, not only better off will the correction officers be, but ultimately so will the taxpayers and so will all of us in society that don't want to see somebody who comes out of prison go out and assault someone again and go back. So that's why I'm really intrigued at what they're doing in Maine. There's a fellow there who's in this prison, Charlie Jones. He's serving a 75-year sentence for a string of burglaries and murder. He's become a master woodcarver. Having never done it before, he was incarcerated. Quote, being in an environment where pretty much everything is punitive, it can be difficult to feel like there are opportunities to just be a decent person. His latest project was making a table with legs representing stacks of books in a tribute to the University of Maine's participation in college-level classes at the prison. Jones earned his bachelor's degree. He said uh, there's really only so many ways from an in- from inside an institution like this that you can kind of reach out and touch the world a little bit. The world sees the output of Jones and his incarcerated co-workers at a showroom on Route 1 in Thomaston, five miles from the prison. More than 600 items are for sale at regular retail price. Inmate James Love's job is to inspect and pack products before they go to the showroom. He's serving 20 years for murder and is nearing the end of his sentence. It keeps me busy. It keeps me occupied. It's very productive for me builds up my job skills, and it may help me when I get out. Now, this fella earns $2.80 an hour. And like his co-workers, he's required to save 10% of his pay, even though it's only $0.28 an hour that he's required to save, Through though the rest can be spent on commissary items sent to family or used to pay restitution to victims. You can rehabilitate yourself if you want rehabilitation. You know, if you want to do good, you're going to do good. Opportunities present itself, you take them. Every one of the program's 10,000 barcoded tools is carefully signed out every time they're used. Any tool you can think of to do with woodworking, we have it here. We have gouges, uh, we have gauges that are over two feet long, we have sharps, we have screwdrivers, hammers, drills. No residents leave until all the tools are returned. Ma- uh, the warden 
Matt Magnuson said the program could potentially be the most dangerous place in the prison, but it isn't. We don't have any incidents that happen in industries because the residents want to be there. They respect being there, and they don't want to do anything that hurts that program. And they'll listen to this. And then I'll invite you to comment on this before we get to Michael Cutler. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Listen to this. The program is self-funded by $1.4 million to $1.7 million in annual sales. Everything that's made goes back into the program. So there are no taxpayer dollars. So it's really a win-win situation. So the way this program is funded is from the very products that these prisoners are making that are then sold. I have to tell you, I have been researching this program, and I think there should be a program like this in every maximum security facility in every in every state in the country. I think this is a win for rehabilitating, genuinely rehabilitating a prisoner and teaching them some skills that they can use if they're ever released from prison. I think this is a win for their victims who they'll make restitution to because if they're sitting in a prison staring at the walls and or watching television all day and not making any money, I think that um, that it's not really going to do much to help them re- make re- restitution to someone that they've robbed. And I think uh, this is a win for the prison staff as well, because I'm of the belief that if folks feel that they're being productive, if they feel that they're being challenged, if they feel like they're learning new skills, you're less likely to see pandemic drug use or things like assaults on fellow inmates or assault on correction officers. So my question for you at 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC, is what do you think about this? Do you agree with me that every maximum security prison should have something like this, where they have a program where you're required to have a job? And then the program itself, the pay for these prisoners is funded by the very labor that they're doing. I think it's a great idea. And I know it's been experimented with in prisons for a long time, possibly much longer than I realize. But I think this is something in the era of everybody loves to, you know, there's always politicians looking for an issue. They want this issue to get on the front page, that issue. And there's not a lot of votes even in places like uh, that allow felon voting, there's not a lot of votes to be found in prisons. So politicians don't like to do stuff like this and make this their issue. It's much easier to make something sexier your issue. This is important, and I really hope everybody that's in public life, and I know we have a lot of folks listening to us right now that are serving in public office in various forms, They will pick up this mantle and take a look at what's happened in Maine and see how it's worked there. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Karen in Rockland County. Hello, Karen. Hi, Frank. How are you? Uh, I've been to this uh, Maine workshop uh, a couple of times on on some bus trips. I'm glad that it's still there because I wasn't sure if it was still there anymore. But they made beautiful work, and I was shocked that the... the first time I went there, they told me that uh, the prisoners had made the uh, all those items there. 
I picked up a jewelry box one time and a wooden sailboat and uh, I think uh, wind chimes. I mean, that beautiful stuff there. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Oh no, I would. I would believe it. And I saw some of the uh, some of the products that these folks are created, and this is some real craftsmanship. Uh, so I I would believe it, Karen. Karen, thanks for sharing that. You know, it's interesting. The um, the fellow that runs this program again, his last name is uh, Lindsay. He ran into at the Freiburg Fair last year a former inmate in that program who's now employed by a Portland construction company. And Lindsay said, he told, uh, what media outlet is this? WMTW. He told WMTW, this is great. This is what we want. This is our end game. When residents get out, we don't want them coming back. I got to tell you, that is my view completely. Completely. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk with Michael Cutler, one of my favorite guests. Somebody who's never at a loss for... Uh, words, especially on the subjects of border security and immigration. We're going to talk to him about what's happening with Title 42. Also, not a fan of uh, Mr. Mayorkas. We're going to ask him why. And uh, a little bit later, we'll talk about what's happening in Eastern Europe and uh, still manage to have some fun. Rob is on Long Island. Hello, Rob. Yeah, how you doing, Frank? You're a big fan of yours. Thank you. Um, I, I do have a, a, you know, they already tried that thing with the uh, work uh, program in prison. It was called Shawshank Redemption. Because anytime <laughs> you put somebody in charge of making money, somebody's ple- uh, plotting, scamming, and scheming. Well, look, again, I realize that uh, there are aspects of the Shawshank Redemption that were that were uh, based on true, true stories. But it was, exactly. I mean, it is fiction. It is it is a fictional book, I mean, or a fictional right, story. Yeah. So but, it was The Godfather, but, you know. <laughs> Fair point, Rob. Fair point. All right. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. 800-848-9222. You know, it's funny. I love that movie so much. That's one of those pictures where whenever it's on, I have to stop whatever I'm doing and watch it. And I actually now when there's other films that fall into that category, Shawshank Redemption, I now call that having a Shawshank moment because when you see uh, whatever. Casino is one of those films, too. Um, when you see Casino and you have to stop and put it on, no matter how far along you're into the movie, you call that having, at least I call it, a Shawshank moment. A great film. My wife had never seen it until we were together. And I can't remember if she saw it after we were married or if I made her watch it before we were married. She loved it. And she said to me afterwards, see, that was a good a good movie. Why can't you show me more movies like that. And uh, I wish there were more movies that were made like that. In my view, it's one of the best films ever made. Delilah is in Brooklyn. Hello, Delilah. Hi. Hi. I wanted to, uh, you know, make a comment on the prison in Maine that has this rehabilitation program. And it sounds so wonderful. So when things are so wonderful, sometimes it seems that they don't want to do it. But I wanted to ask, is your prison mostly uh, Caucasians? Wait, is the prison in Maine mostly Caucasian? Yes. I, I, You know, I'd have to look. I'm not familiar with the uh, the racial breakdown there, I'll be honest. Okay, because I feel that if it's mostly Caucasians, they um, tend to do the best for them. And when it's mostly uh, people of color, 
they don't really want to give them the best. Well, well, who's the and they? The prison the, officials? Uh, the authorities, the, the government, you know, whoever runs the prisons, whoever sets them well, yeah, um, you know, you know uh, look, I, I, I don't know the racial breakdown here, and I will look at that, uh, Delilah, and thank you for the call. But I, I'll be honest, I don't think the tendency to view prisoners as almost less than human beings, which is unfortunately how a lot of people in authority view them, I don't think it's based on race. I think it's based on the fact that there's this mentality. And look, I, I feel this way at times, too. Look, I, I pay my taxes. I do the right thing. It would be easy for me to take a shortcut to something. And I think a lot of people that have never been to prison or had a family member go to prison or a close friend go to prison, they view people who end up in prison as making a choice. And they say, look, this person chose to commit a crime. And why should we care if they're comfortable or if they have any nutritious food or if they have access to education or anything else. And I think I get that, and I'm sympathetic to that argument and that attitude, but I think the reality is much more complex because the worse you make the prison experience, it doesn't, it's not like when your father told you to go to your room when you were in trouble when you were five years old and you don't want that to happen to you again. It really doesn't provide much of a disincentive. That's why I think so many people in prison end up back in prison. So, uh, and there's one other, by the way, on the subject of prisons, and, and maybe we'll talk about this in a future show. One of my favorite documentaries ever, it's a short documentary. It's called Prison Terminal. It was uh, nominated for an Oscar about nine years ago. How it didn't win is beyond me. It's called Prison Terminal. Um, I think it's on HBO, but you can find it online. The Last Days of Private Jack Hall. And it's all about a hospice in prison. And it's all about these people that are dying in prison who've committed these horrible crimes and other prisoners who are taking care of them in a hospice setting. If this half-hour film doesn't change your view of the American prison system, I don't know what will. Uh, I do recommend it. Two quick calls, and I want to get to Michael Cutler here. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, uh, as far as what the last lady was saying before, in Maine, it's the exact opposite of the city. In the city, it's uh, 7% white. In Maine, it's 7% African-American as far as, you know, going by race. But upstate New York has all sorts of programs like that, too. But it is an excellent idea, and I think a lot of uh, things in prison could be different because – they're not there to uh, punish, you know, or to correct because they really haven't uh, done that for years. But it's to provide, uh, you know, a, a safe environment, you know, uh, not to make it pleasant. But uh, things like wreck shouldn't be an hour a day. It should be all the time that they can get right. out there. Guess what? Makes them tired. And guess what? Uh, programs. Churches should be in there continuously. Learning trades, you know. All these things uh, can occur. Uh, better designs rather than little tiny cells, you know. Uh, they should have high ceilings, meals. There should be an incentive where every week somebody's going to get a good meal. But guess what? If you're not doing good, guess what? Saturday night won't be pizza night. Lots of things can change, you know. Uh, environment uh, can be made better. But it's a good idea, you know, just to, 
the money is never there for it. Well, well thank you, Al. But that's what I like about this main program is that it wouldn't require an excessive outlay of expenses from the taxpayer because the program is self-funding. They make the money from this program by the very items that they're selling. By the way, Philippe pulled up some uh, statistics for me. And apparently in this particular prison in Maine, there are nine black prisoners for every white prisoner, uh, for every three white prisoners. So the black to white ratio is nine to three. But honestly, I think the racial aspect of this is secondary. Um, very quickly here, let me say hello to Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Yo, Frank, what's the recidivism rate? Because I think that's the only rate that you can really go by. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I looked in both of the articles on this subject and you know I, I didn't see it but i thought maybe the reason that they didn't have the statistics there is the prison sentences for people that end up at this particular prison are so long that i think unlike most other prisons around the rest of the country most of them are, not most but many of them are never coming out but i will research that a bit further when we do a follow-up on this it's a great question though neil michael cutler joins me next speaking of legal and illegal um, this is a man who is not afraid to use the term illegal immigrant anymore. Do you remember when everyone used to use the term illegal immigration and illegal immigrant? Now, if you use the term illegal immigrant, it's like it's a big deal. Ooh, who did, what, what, did somebody say illegal immigrant? Oh, he must be racist. Oh. We're going to get into the future of border security and immigration, the Title 42 debate. You might have heard him on the uh, Cats at Night show recently, and he, he killed it. On the Cats at Night show. And I said, well, like it's been known Michael for a long time. We're way overdue for a visit with him. And he's been gracious enough to stay up late. We'll talk to him straight ahead. should come into the country and how they should come into the country and what to do when they come into the country has been with us for since before the Constitution, actually. And uh, the issue has been under the microscope a great deal since the mid-1960s. And uh, this was an issue, even though the mainstream of the Republican Party had sort of run away from this and uh, became, become the party of people like George W. Bush and John McCain on this issue. This was an issue that uh, Donald Trump ran on in 2016 and was, in spite of what a lot of the so-called experts said, he rode that issue to a lot of electoral success, both in the primaries and the general. 
And now, uh, with people still coming across the border in droves, and with people very concerned that uh, the end of Title 42 may mean rampant immigration in this country, I thought it might be a good idea and a good time to look at what's happening as it relates to border security and immigration. And uh, I can't think of a better person to look at those issues with than Michael Cutler. He is a retired senior special agent for I and a fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's somebody that lives, eats, breathes this issue like no other. Michael, thanks for staying up late with us. Yeah, my pleasure, Frank. It's always great to join you. Uh, we, we go back forever. By the way, I am no longer affiliated with the Center for Immigration Studies. That, that ended many years ago. Um, but that's fine. Uh, you know, I've testified before. I think we're up to 17 congressional hearings in the House and Senate. I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. Uh, and I have to make one quick observation about your discussion about prisons. I've been in many of them working as an agent, dealing with informants, dealing with criminal aliens who were arrested and charged with all sorts of crimes, ranging from murder to narcotics. Uh, half my 30 years with the INS I was working with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. I was the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA. And you're right about prisons. We call them correctional facilities, but there's not much correction going on. But what we should probably be doing is looking how people wind up in jail in the first place. Levels of illiteracy, levels of drug abuse, membership in gangs. And when the schools fail our children and when families fail our children, frequently they make bad decisions. And it's remarkable to me, and I have to make the observation, that you have an administration that is attacking parents who are engaged in their children's education and declaring them to be terrorists. I was the president of of the Parents Association of my daughter's public school. And what you really do want are parents involved in their children's education. So... What we're doing is not helping to ameliorate the situation. And when you flood the country with narcotics and you flood the country with gangs and you displace American workers, you know, I I remember growing up in Brooklyn and I'm on the wrong side of 70. But all of us, my friends, I we all worked in restaurants. I'm a Jewish kid from Brooklyn. I worked in a kosher deli and it taught us responsibility, um, the dignity that goes with work. And today, you know, the hiring of illegal aliens, not hiring American children so that they could have that first notch on that resume that gets them to the next job the following summer. We're doing a lot of things wrong, and it's exacerbating the problems, um, the, the um, glamorization of violence. It's insane. You go to the movies and people are, you know, driving cars through windows and blowing people up while the radical left screams about gun control. Uh, it's really schizophrenic. Wouldn't you agree with me? Uh, I, I, I would indeed. Uh, talking with Michael Cutler, retired senior special agent for the INS. Um, now, the issue of border security, you are not a Johnny-come-lately on this issue. You've devoted no. uh, most of your no. professional career and uh, a good portion of your uh, your life after you're leaving public service yeah. to this issue. Um, this is not a new issue in terms of your interest in it. I want you to explain to folks who might think this is an issue that's exploited by politicians or interest groups, either on the right or the left, why the issue of border security and illegal immigration is such an important one, whether it's from a national security perspective, an economic one, a cultural one, a crime one, or even an infectious disease. Why is border security and, um, and immigration so important to deal with? 
Sure. And by the way, I want to start out by making the observation that we are a nation of 50 border states, not four border states. You know, I, I do many speaking events. I work with the Speakers Bureau in Washington that does seminars for the military and the intelligence services. And I love it when you say to someone, how many border states do we have? They, they rattle off Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, California. No, we have 50 border states. Any state that lies on the northern or southern border is a border state. Any state that has access to America's 95,000 miles of coastline is a border state. Any state that has an international airport is a border state. New York can point the fact that hits the trifecta. New York State connects to Canada. We have seaports. We have international airports. And, you know, you were talking about the term illegal immigrant. I use the term illegal alien. And it was Jimmy Carter who started this. And by the way, full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. The problem is the Democrats are no longer Democrats. The, the wheels have come off their wagon. This is not the Democrat Party that I signed up with back when I was, when I, when I was a student at Brooklyn College when I first voted. Uh, they've really lost their minds. But both parties are exploiting immigration. But what I want everyone to understand is that the term alien is not a pejorative. It's not an insult. It's not the N-word. Legally, it's a legal term, and the Immigration Act defines an alien simply as any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. So where's the insult? It doesn't say you're ugly, you smell bad, or you're stupid. It just says you're not an American. It's like, you're my friend, Frank, but since you're not related to me, you're not part of my family. Right. That's right. not an insult. That's a statement of reality. But by changing the word alien to immigrant, if you dare suggest that we limit how many non-citizens, how many aliens can enter the United States, you get labeled anti-immigrant. And so suddenly you're viewed as a xenophobe and a hater. You can go to the um, so-called conservative television programs and people that want amnesty, which is really anarchy, are lauded as being pro-immigrant, and people such as myself that believes in enforcing the laws that are on the books are anti-immigrant. It's not anti-immigrant. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year. We give them green cards. They're immediately placed on the path to citizenship. That's more than the rest of the world combined. We admit tens of millions of temporary visitors as tourists, as foreign students, as journalists, as temporary workers, tens of millions per year. I'm not suggesting shutting down the border, but this is the rhetoric being spewed by the globalists. You can find them on both sides of the aisle. Think about the border wall. And everyone said, oh, my God, it's a wall of hate. It's about keeping out Mexicans. Guess what, folks? The border wall is not designed to stop a single human being from entering the United States, period, full stop. You did not mishear me. I will repeat it. The border wall is not designed to stop anyone from entering the country because it doesn't block off the ports of entry. The border wall was intended to prevent people from sneaking in and evading the inspections process. It's like the velvet rope at the bank that guides the customers to the next teller. It's like the cattle run at the airport that guides the passengers to the next TSA agent. Or think of it as the gate at the football stadium. You don't just run across the field to get to your seat. You go through a gate, you buy a ticket, maybe they go through a metal detector, and then you are guided to your seat so you can enjoy the game without disrupting everything. How in the world is it a wall of hate when all we're trying to do is make certain people go through the process? Now, the process is important. So let me give everyone out there a section of law that I really want you to 
checkout after the program. Jot it down. Write it on the wall. Write it on the back of your hand. Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182. It's a list of categories of aliens who are to be kept out of the United States. Now, it has nothing to do with race, nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with ethnicity. If it did, I couldn't have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. Category number one, aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Think COVID. Realize also that Ellis Island was a quarantine state. Mm -hmm. At the time of its completion, it was the biggest hospital complex in America. 42 buildings, okay? Aliens who are severely mentally ill and violent to be excluded. Aliens who are criminals, terrorists, spies, human rights violators, drug traffickers, human traffickers, people who um, make a living by exploiting um, sex workers, aliens who have been previously deported or lied on their applications for various benefits, aliens who would become a public charge, or aliens who, if they work, would displace American workers and hurt the wages of working Americans. Is there any category that I've listed? And I think I mentioned terrorists also. If I didn't, terrorists yeah, certainly on the list, but also Nazi war criminals. Tell me something. Do you want any of those individuals I just described to enter the United States? I personally don't. But I, I'm wondering, Michael, I, I think maybe some folks don't realize why this is such an important issue to you and to the country. Why should uh, immigration and controlling who comes through the border, and if people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, retired INS agent Michael Cutler, why should that be of paramount concern to most Americans? What's the big deal? Uh, well, let, let's start out with the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. You know, I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission uh, I've investigated and arrested terrorists. People don't realize that. What immigration agents do, what the Border Patrol does, is actually a follow-on to the mission of the United States military. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was in Washington. I had the privilege of addressing a bunch of Air Force generals and colonels. And two years ago, one of the people in my audience had just come back from the space station. He was one of our astronauts and a member of the United States Air Force. And I made the point, and I've never gotten any pushback from anybody in the military. The common mission of our armed forces is to keep the enemies of the United States as far from our shores as possible. Up close and in person, guess who gets the assignment? It's the Border Patrol and the men and women of ICE. Okay? Let me just read one, one short paragraph. This is the preface from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This was a second report published by the U.S. government printing office. It's an official report, and it was authored by the federal agents and attorneys who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. It's a quick sentence, and, and it really underscores the issue. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. I mean, you really got to wonder who was running the agency mm. not to see that immediately. But let's move on. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons that we discuss in the following pages that it must be made one. Now, if you remember when I was on the round table 
uh, Katz's, um, what was it, Cats at Night, right. I believe the name of the program. Congressman Peter King was there. Peter King was the chairman of a hearing that we talked about. And so let me just quickly read this, because I, I want everyone to understand what we're really dealing with. On April 17, 2018, the House Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee, which at the time was chaired by Peter King, conducted a hearing on the topic, the state sponsors of terrorism and examination of Iran's global terrorism network. One of the witnesses there, and one of the interesting things was, I, I always like to watch hearings, having testified at many of them, I think I see it from a, a different prism. Very often, one witness will disagree with another because both parties put up witnesses so you can have a back and forth. At this hearing, there was no argument, no dissent with what this one witness had to say. His name is Dr. Emmanuel Ortolenge. He is a member of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. And I want everyone to listen carefully. There's two short paragraphs. The first one is upsetting, and the second one keeps me awake almost every night. That's why I'm up at this hour. This is his words, not mine. By the way, he's going to talk about Hezbollah. We always associate Hezbollah with the Middle East. There is a humongous presence of Hezbollah throughout Latin America right now, and you should know that there are terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil. That's where the Mexican border comes in. But let me read what he said. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes the laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system, and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shia's communities loyal to its causes and complicit in its endeavors. That's upsetting. Now, here's the one that keeps me staring at, this, at, at the ceiling in my bedroom at night. This toxic crime terror nexus, that is Hezbollah and the smugglers of people and drugs, this toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping to drive drugs and people northwards into the United States. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America, thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists and a continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. <clears throat> and I don't know if you remember this, but around the time that Obama was running for re-election, uh, the FBI and ICE agents were working cooperatively. And again, I've arrested and investigated a terrorist. My first fraud case caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery. This was back in 1976. This is not new. But the, the, the issue that we have <clears throat> is that by not securing the border, by allowing people in, we had a situation when Obama was running for reelection where Hezbollah operating in Mexico came across the border. Their goal was to kill the Saudi ambassador, blow up the Saudi embassy in Washington and perhaps the Israeli embassy. It was stopped. But understand that that border is a major issue, but it's not just that border. 
<clears throat> and you can't control the border at the border. And that's the one issue that everybody ignores. You know, in addition to doing the hearings that, that I did, uh, Frank, I had a lot of closed-door sessions of members of Congress that were actually far more productive. Hearings are very structured. You can only speak for five minutes. It's a showcase. Very often it, it takes on the appearance of a kangaroo court. When you have a closed-door session where you have maybe 10 members of Congress with their staffers in a closed room and there's no clock, it becomes far more productive. And I had several meetings like that. I went down to Washington to sit with them. So here was the question that I asked, and the reaction was interesting. Let's, let's try this question out. How many times does an aspiring illegal alien have to attempt to enter the United States before they're successful? Uh, uh, you got me. Three, four? Well, see, everyone was looking for a number, and I told the members of Congress, no, it's a formula. It is one more than the number of times they get stopped. Mm -hmm. Now, why is that important? Any alien who wants to enter the United States will ultimately succeed. That doesn't mean don't try to secure the border. You have to, okay? You want to cut the numbers down to reasonable dimensions. Understand that those who are truly committed and determined will make it. And, you know, when you get in your car, we don't do this so much anymore because we have a GPS. But think about it. You get in the car, and why do you normally turn on the radio on your way to work or on your way home? Two things you want to know about. What's the weather and what's the traffic? Why do you want to know about the traffic? Well, what's the fastest, easiest way I can get to my destination? <clears throat> so aspiring illegal aliens, pay attention. <clears throat> How do I get to America? What's the easiest way? And if they put pressure on one place on the border, then they're going to move the action to another place along the border, or maybe they'll get on a boat and come ashore where no one sees them. Maybe they'll go to Canada. Maybe they'll come in through an airport with a false passport. So the point is, if they're determined, they're going to do it. The key to immigration law enforcement is interior enforcement. And in fact, I worked with Senator Al D'Amato way back when, and I know that Senator Al is frequently a guest on the program, and we changed the reentry law, and I did it not as an agent, but as a civilian with expertise, and I got over 30 of my buddies to work with the senator's people, and unbeknownst to me, the head of investigations in New York for INS, Walter Connery, who passed away a couple of years ago, and I miss Walter terribly, he was a mentor, was a retired cop. He was the deputy inspector in charge of internal affairs. He had a law degree. Unbeknownst to me and unbeknownst to him, we were working to accomplish the same goal, and we got it. Reentry after deportation by illegal aliens used to be a two-year felony, no matter whether or not the alien in question had a criminal history. <clears throat> and nobody wanted to really prosecute the cases. The U.S. attorneys would say, we're too busy. It's only a two-year thing. Why bother? So I, I came to the conclusion, as did Walter, that this should really be a 20-year maximum crime for criminals, rapists, murderers, arsonists, drug dealers, gun runners. Um, if you get deported, you come back. Let's make sure that we create a strong disincentive that you don't want to come back because you're going to go to jail for 20 years. And so we got the law passed. And under Donald Trump, this was the most frequently prosecuted felony for the entire Justice Department. And the beauty of it is you can put a case together in a, in a day or two. I mean, what's the argument? I'm not really here. You have the executed warrant of deportation. The guy's fingerprint is on it. You get a fingerprint analysis. You check the databases to make certain that he was never given permission to return. You get that certified, and you go to the grand jury, and, and the rest is history. 
So the point of it is that interior enforcement is the key. And look what we're doing across the country between sanctuary cities and non-enforcement by the Biden administration. And by the way, the fact that we've never hired enough ICE agents. And if you look at George W. Bush, the way he created DHS violated the Homeland Security Act. The immigration enforcement program was never supposed to be divided in half between Customs and Border Protection and ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. That makes it almost impossible to get the job done. Furthermore, they were not supposed to fold other agencies in with immigration. ICE also includes Secret Service. ICE also includes Customs. ICE also includes uh, the federal police that protect federal buildings and the TSA. What do they have to do with immigration? Nothing. We only have 6,000 ICE agents, and most of the time, most of them aren't doing anything with immigration. So imagine a force of about 2,000 immigration agents for the entire United States. The New York City Police Department has about 36,000 cops just for the five boroughs. The whole country <laughs> covered by 2,000 ICE agents. Why? Because ICE agents not only arrest illegal aliens, they also go after crooked employers and crooked lawyers. I helped to put a couple of lawyers in jail. I went after crooked employers before I went over to the drug task force. So this is a political football. Give the illusion that we're going to enforce the law, but do nothing about it. Now, let's go further. I don't know of a single terror attack since 9-11 that was successfully completed that involved an airplane anywhere in the world. What is the conveyance of choice in terror attacks across the globe? Motor vehicles. And what are they doing in places like New York and Illinois and California, New Jersey, Philadelphia? We're giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. They call them undocumented. Well, if they're undocumented, that means we have no idea who they are. So if you go to the center of cities, you go to Washington, you see all these barriers and all these flower pots and all these uh, grates that pop out of the pavement to shred tires. Why? To guard against car bombs and truck bombs. M Michael, so have no on, on that note, I hate to interrupt, but we're going to have to end it there. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we didn't get to. Hopefully we'll uh, have a conversation again soon. We'll talk a little bit about what's happening with Title 42 and some other areas. If people want to learn more. It'll be catastrophic, and it's being designed that way because they're Profiting through the NGOs, I have an article up at U.S. Incorporated, U.S. Yep. Inc. I also write, by the way, for Front Page Magazine. And uh, my own website is Michael. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to mention you that. For people, me, Frank. people, have a wonderful evening. Thank you. People can check out Michael at michaelcutler.net. You can see his column on there, and uh, we'll have Michael back soon and uh, cover some of these other issues that we didn't have an opportunity to get into today. That's uh, michaelcutler.net. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation. You can give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
This is Stevie Nicks. <clears throat> if you ever want to know what uh, kind of music we're playing on the show, join our Facebook group. We post the uh, songs listed. We post songs there each and every morning after the show. Uh, you can find the Facebook group just by going to uh, Facebook and typing in Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And uh, that's also meant to be a, a vehicle for discussing the subjects the guests, the topics that we cover on this show. So that's the place where you can go ahead and do it. Um, and uh, by the way, there is egg salad on the premises. I got a fresh new batch of egg salad. I see uh, Philippe waking up uh, when uh, when he heard that. Uh, I don't know that Avery has tried the egg salad yet. Avery's here uh, as our telephone talent coordinator to continue the the Curtis-directed sabotage of this program. And uh, I know Matt Blaze has already become an egg salad evangelist when it comes to Aunt Camille's specific specific recipe. So everybody help yourself and the video people, if they're watching, uh, they can uh, can grab some in the refrigerator. So I was talking to you the other day about how I – my wife has an account at Bank of America, and she put me on the account. Even though I'm a small bank guy, I like small banks, it cost me a – bundle in ATM fees because uh, I'm so often not near a branch of my bank or actually it belonged to two small banks. So she put me on her Bank of America account a couple of weeks ago, not a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few months ago in case we get checks together. And it's fine. I don't really do much with it. But I recently we had, you know, Carmine's christening and a lot of family members and friends of ours gave him checks made out to him, Carmine Moreno. So we wanted to put him on our Bank of America account so that we could put it in there and then transfer some of it to his 529 plan, which is for his uh, college savings. Okay. So I go there yesterday, and I tried to go there previously, but they close at 4 4 p.m. What bank closes at 4 p.m.? Anyway, so I go there yesterday. And clearly I learned within a very short amount of time that this is the most complicated thing anyone has ever asked Bank of America to do in history. I mean, you wouldn't think it is. People have children all the time. And you'd think more than one person has been in this situation where they get checks written to a five-month-old and the five-month-old is not really in a position to open up an account. So I said... um, all right. Well, I, I tell two people, met with two people, explained to them exactly what I want to do. Both people, very nice, said, uh, all right, well, congratulations. Uh, it's going to be about five or ten minutes. We're going to have somebody come talk to you. Great. You know, somebody comes and gets me in ten minutes. They bring me to a – it's not an office, but it's a, a an area with a chair and a desk. I speak to that person. Okay. Congratulations. Everyone's super nice. I can't even stress this enough. Congratulations, but uh, I can't help you. So uh, we're going to wait, wait another 10 or 15 minutes. We're going to have another person who is authorized to open more accounts for you. They take me to another person, and essentially he says, ah, oh, we can't do it. <laughs> we're going to email you so that you can set up a, um, a an account for a minor. Can I just do that here? No. You got to do that via email. We used to offer that as a retail product, but don't anymore. I mean, you got to wonder, is this really... Why people are so down on banks? I, I mean, it was the most frustrating aspect of my day today, one of many. All right, until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A little bit later, we will read your email. So, if you have a, a, a clever email, a question, or a thought that you'd like read on the uh, on the air, you can email me at frank at wabcradio.com. That's frank radio at wabcradio.com, and we'll try and get you as many of your messages. As possible, we got a lot of snail mail here, and uh, hopefully, we'll add your email to that as well. Now, one of the constant themes that I have been harping on since this program began is the kids ain't all right in America, and this has been made significantly worse by the pandemic, in my judgment. In America, we have a real problem with children. The American Academy of Pediatrics, who we've cited before, who, regardless of what you think about them, I think when it comes to diagnosing problems with children, they have a pretty good handle on things. They have announced that never before, never, have so many children reported being so sad and so stressed. And they're saying that the mental health crisis among children and teens is now a national emergency. According to Axios healthcare editor Tina Reed, in terms of mental distress, more than 40% of teens said they felt persistently sad or hopeless during 2021. 40%, think of that, 4 out of 10 teens felt persistently sad or hopeless. You want to talk risky behavior? The same survey found increased use of alcohol and drugs during the shutdown. You want to talk about abuse? 55% reported emotional abuse from a parent or other adult in the home, and over 10% reported physical abuse. So my question for you is, what do you think about all this? Do you buy this? Is this a function of, you know, parents just being parents and then 55% of kids think this is emotional abuse? Do you think that uh, teenagers have always been a little mopey? We just didn't have groups like the Academy, the American Academy of of Pediatrics there to quantify that as persistently anything. But. My broader question for you is, at 800-848-WABC, that's 800-848-9222, is what do we do about this? Um, Parents, relatives, friends, mentors, teachers, policymakers, the media, neighbors, what do we do about this? Because to me, I find this incredibly troubling 40 percent of teens feeling persistently sad i buy these numbers i think this is legitimate 
and increased use along with this of alcohol and drugs. Now, hopefully, now that schools are back open, we'll see a lot of positive ways to deal with these issues the and that don't lead to antisocial behavior. But they're already talking about broader COVID restrictions in places like New York. Now, thankfully, Mayor Adams has so far resisted that, but other cities as well. So is it really such a stretch to think that in the fall uh, for the fifth wave or whatever we're going to be at at that point of uh, of COVID that maybe we will see broader lockdowns? So what would you do about this? 800-848-WABC. Uh, I find this really alarming. And I don't have an easy answer. And I read uh, a lot of suggestions for how parents can look for signs that their child or their teen is struggling, how other adults and even other teens can look for signs uh, that somebody is clinically depressed or something along those lines. But I think um, I think there's very little out there in terms of arming people with helping others. And I'm curious what you think. 800-848-WABC, the headline for Axios Finish Line says, Helping Frazzled Kids. There were some good strategies here, I think. But I do wonder what your answer is. 800-848-WABC, that's 1-800-848-9222. And uh, we'll get into a little bit of the interesting things that are happening in the world of radio as well in just a bit. And we'll go through uh, some of your mail. You can, of course, always find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. But why are America's children so frazzled? Is it simply a result of the shutdown or their broader problems? And more importantly, how do we fix this? 800-848-WABC. Joseph is in New Jersey. Hello, Joseph. Yeah, hi. It's uh, just interesting how the biggest the biggest story is the 2000 News documentary. And, uh, and we constantly just talk about everything, but not this documentary. It's incredible. Well, it's because I haven't seen it yet. Hello. I see. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll be happy to talk about it once I see it. I mean, didn't it just come out today or yesterday? Yes, correct. Yeah, so I mean, I haven't had a chance to see it. I'm happy to talk about it the once I've seen it. Explosive material that's in it, even just if you see parts of it, is just incredible. It's yeah. Like, you remember Ruby Freeman with a suitcase from under the table, and and they just pretended like. It didn't happen. Yeah, I, I will see it. I heard uh, Dinesh D'Souza on with Rudy Giuliani yesterday. I thought it was an interesting interview. I'll uh, be happy to see it and watch it with an open mind and then look for any any you know uh, anything that uh, people should know about it. I'll be sure to mention. And if there's any criticism of it, uh, I'll be sure to mention that as well. But uh, something tells me you're going to be hearing a great deal about that documentary on this station. But for now, um, the election is over. And I'm sick of talking about it, honestly. I would much rather deal with the fact that 40% of teens feel persistently sad or hopeless and the fact that this is now genuinely, the mental health crisis among children and teens 
is genuinely a national health emergency. And so my question for you is, what are you going to do about it? How do we fix this? 800-848-9222. Russell is in Far Rockaway. Hello. Uh, um, maybe if we stop telling eight-year-olds that they are either or responsible for slavery 160 years ago, they would feel less stressed and less depressed. All right. Well, so that's a good uh, a good first step, I guess. Stop telling eight year olds that they're responsible for slavery. All right. Okay. I'm on board with that. I'm on board with that. I'll be honest. I don't know how often eight year olds are told that they're responsible for slavery. I know uh, there's a lot of attention paid to things like critical race theory. I've never met an eight year old that says to me, Mr. Frank, you know, um, I feel bad that I'm responsible for slavery. Now, I'm not trying to be glib. I realize that uh, there's a lot of stuff that we put on our eight-year-olds, but I, I think the caller is oversimplifying it a bit. Alex in Pennsylvania, what do you think? Frank, good morning. I think the answer is a belief in God, which you see very little of anymore, and kids are not hearing about it, and they have no knowledge of it. Well, so that is interesting. So I guess that comes down to something parents teach them. I was a mess when I was 16. If I didn't feel, I always had a sense that there was some kind of a bond between me and 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 some um, greater being. I don't know why that was. I just sensed it. And that got me through. I was able to feel that there was, there's more out there than just what met the eye. Okay, well, I, hey, I'm all for that. Uh, I certainly hope to raise uh, my son with uh, with a belief in uh, in God, and I hope that does help him deal with any challenges he faces going uh, going on. Um, I do wonder if there's if there's more to it than that. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe um, if more children grow up believing in God, fewer of them will turn to drugs and alcohol. I, I really maybe it's too hard an answer. Maybe it's too easy an answer. But uh, I look, I agree. I think that's an important component. Uh, but um, what about for secular households? What about for parents that um, are atheists? Are we basically saying to those children, well, tough, you're confined to a mental health crisis? I'm not ready to write off atheist children either or see them turn to drugs and alcohol. Joe's in Ronkonkoma. What do you think, Joe? Hey, Frank. Um, great show, like always. Um I'm listening to you talk and uh, having a 15-year-old and a 11-year-old, and I see what uh, everything that's going on. My, my daughter used to be prior to the pandemic, always happy, bubbly, um, and then being locked in the house. I think they saw way too much. Um, reason why these kids are turning into alcohol and drugs? I think maybe they see their parents since they're working from home, drinking more often. Um, I mean, I remember during the pandemic, I worked through the whole thing, but all my friends, they were doing Facebook groups, 8 o'clock shots and all this stuff, and everybody was so confined to their homes and always watching the news, and you know the news is very depressing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think these kids saw that, but socialization is so important. Um, you know, my daughter missed out on so much the ending of middle school. She just went right into... Uh, 
the high school. She didn't get to do all the things that all the other kids were doing. And, you know, hearing stories and not able to do what normal kids are doing. And these kids, it affects. Uh, like, you know, like my son also, he's 11. And he was uh, homeschooled for two years because of the pandemic. And it affected him tremendously. Now he's back. They're both back. They're a lot happier. But you could see their faces that it's just. Uh, well, Joe, uh, I think I agree with just about everything you said. So it sounds like what you're saying is, and I certainly agree with this point, if this is what you're saying, that the shutdown denied uh, young people an, an ability to interact. And that interaction has furthered a feeling of isolation and loneliness. Yeah. And that's leading to this kind of antisocial behavior, which includes drugs and alcohol and the like. Yep. Like, like when my son, the last year of the pay, uh, uh, shutdowns, the teacher did, because uh, they were moving on uh, to the fifth grade, which is a big thing in elementary school, because that's your last year on Long Island. And they did a group picture, all the kids on their TV screens. And my son yesterday asked me, Daddy, could you please get rid of that? And I'm like, why? It's bad memory. And, you know, Frank, you know, when you hear that, you, you feel bad for kids, you know. Hey, have a great night. And uh, Well, Joe, one, uh, let me ask show. you one last question before you hang up. Um, because if there's no question that um, the pandemic and the shutdown, it did exacerbate this mental health crisis in kids. And I think it's for exactly the reasons that you cite. But it while 2021 was the worst year ever, it's not as if two years before that everything was just fine among young people. Is it as simple as just getting kids back in school, or have there been any other factors that have contributed to this mental health crisis among children? Well, you you know I told you in prior phone calls, uh, my wife got COVID really bad when she almost passed away. And, and I think the constant reminder and all the stuff that's going on, you know, these kids, Frank, my daughter in high school, they follow politics worse than I do. And there's groups that are Trump kids, and there's very few Biden groups, and then they got the independent kids, and then they got these. They're all like these. And these kids also, I think, a lot has to do with the economy. And they, they see what's going on, and their parents are not able to afford to do mm, things. Mm. Oh, so you think and it's think an it's economic good. factor as well. That's interesting. Uh, good thoughts, Joe. So. So far, I'm okay. Here are the suggestions for how to fix our mental health crisis. We have uh, one caller who says, "Stop telling eight-year-olds that they're responsible for slavery." Okay. You have another caller that says, um, "We need to have God be more of a presence in young people's lives." Okay, I agree with that, and uh, I'm certainly going to try and do that with my son. And we have Joe, and Joe is pretty much where I am which is these shutdowns of schools have led to a feeling of isolation. My question for you is, what else? Causes and fixes. What else has contributed to this mental health crisis among young people? 800-848-9222. And more important, even if you don't know the cause, how can we fix it? You know, I um, I used to work for a uh, city councilman, and in that capacity, I would speak at a few graduations, and I would always try and give young people 
the benefit of whatever wisdom I have. Now, I didn't I don't have much wisdom, but I always try to most of the practical advice that I could give them had to do with things like scrambled eggs. But I just wonder, is there something we're heading into graduation season now, junior high school, high school. And I know this a National Academy of uh, American Pediatrics is not dealing with college graduates, but I would venture to guess that a lot of people in college are dealing with the same thing. If you're speaking at one of these graduations now, and you know that there's genuinely a mental health crisis going on, what would you say to these kids? What would sink in? What would keep them from being perpetually depressed? What would keep them from turning to alcohol and drugs and all the tough stuff that that entails? Or if you don't want to make it a graduation speech, let's say a 12-year-old that you come across just seems down all the time. You, You have the opportunity to say something to them or do something for them. What do you do? What do you do? Um, maybe there is no great answer. Maybe there is no silver bullet. Maybe that's my problem is that I'm always in search of a silver bullet and there is none. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Diane is in New Jersey. Hello, Diane. Hello. Um, I think, well, there's multiple reasons. Now, one uh, uh, cause for depression, and I speak from experience, and you don't hear very much about it, is uh, coffee, dark chocolate, something in there that uh, can cause depression in some people, and uh, it should be uh, looked in, into more. So you, it, you think children might be consuming too many of these substances like coffee and dark chocolate, and that's contributing to their depression? Absolutely, in some people, not in everybody. And then another thing is just there's not as much niceness and wholesomeness mm, in, mm. Uh, you know, you look at TV. TV and people are always being kind of snarky and make you know it's it's just there's no many shows like the Waltons or Little House on the Prairie or any of that stuff when I was growing up. So there's it's multiple factors as you were saying, no silver bullet, but I just definitely wanted to bring up about the chocolate and the coffee, you know, and they did products that do definitely affect some people. Is there any um any any documentation on that? front, Diane? Uh, you know, I haven't really looked into that, but okay. whenever I've uh, mentioned it to other people on the internet, for instance, I'll, I'll always get some people that are agreeing with me. Uh-huh. Well, if you find, a, if you come across anything, I'd certainly be very interested in that. Please send it, uh, send it my way. Uh, but I certainly agree with you, and thanks for the call, that uh, there could be a bit more niceness in society. You know, I don't know what shows are out there for children now. I'm not really up yet because my son doesn't really watch television. Or if he does, he just looks at it as as lights and he watches whatever I watch, whatever I watch, because he uh, and I'm glad for that. I like to watch Jeopardy and Star Trek, and he seems to have no complaints about that. And Michael Smirconish, but um, I I thought that a lot of the shows that are on that are geared towards children on networks like. Uh, Disney Plus or I don't know. I mean, whatever the children networks are, I thought they did still have some nice programs for children. Uh, But I honestly, I'm totally ignorant on this one because I don't have a child, a a child that's of TV watching age yet. Frank's in Morristown. Hello, Frank. Hey, 
Yeah, hey, what's up, Frank? Uh, I have a couple causes and solutions. Great. But I wanted to say something uh, what Diane just said. I think chocolate has uh, something in it that, like, when you eat it, it releases serotonin or, like, dopamine in your brain or something like that. So that's probably too much of that, too much coffee. It probably uh, messes with your dopamine receptors or your serotonin levels, whatever, your dopamine levels. So that's probably what she's referring to. But uh, some of the causes, I think, obviously, like social media, Instagram, people getting likes, all all that, uh, that's one of the big causes. I feel like the kids now, like, they're like the second generation of the of the internet, so they're kind of uh, thin skinned, whereas like the older generation, they grew up with like the original internet, are a little bit more thick skinned. They understand the internet a little bit better. So like I have a, a, a my little brother's birthday is actually today. He just turned eleven. Oh great! So, Happy birthday to him. <laughs> so what's his name? I, I uh, Vincent. Vincent, great. So. So I, I see him, like, I see him uh, kind of get upset about things. Like, I, I also realize uh, he plays soccer. They're playing soccer now. And there's only three teams uh, in my town. When I was when I was playing, when I was a kid, like, there there would maybe be, like, ten teams. You know what I mean? So kids are, there's less kids playing sport, like, little league sports and well, stuff like that. Well, you know, that. you're right about this, and we've chronicled this, too, and, I mean, we didn't have the data of this group saying that this was a mental health emergency, but um, but you're right. Uh, the the number of children participating in organized sports has declined steadily, and this is a decline that began even before the pandemic. But let me bring you back to the other point that you made, Frank, about this uh, social media-like-based culture. What do we do about that? Do you just not allow your your child to have a social media presence before a certain age? And what is the what is the age? What is the magic number in which they can maybe um, handle uh, having a, a social media profile? Uh, I feel like it's something that probably needs to be fixed at the at the actual companies themselves. Like maybe make a a separate social media for younger kids like high schoolers or whatever i mean my brother's in elementary school and like i think my parents made him delete tiktok but he had tiktok for a little bit like all these little kids they all have smartphones and they all have like you know some parents just don't even know or they don't know like i was getting at my parents like oh this kid shouldn't have tiktok and then i think they made him delete it but they don't even some people don't even know what what their kids are looking at on the phone. So that's definitely a big problem. And like the whole like thing, I, I heard something about I don't know how real this is, but like, like someone was saying that in China, they have like other standards of likes where like there'll be inventions or something or something where someone's actually accomplishing something. And then that's how you get boosted in the algorithm. Whereas like here. Uh, you just take a picture, like, if you're a girl, like, you take a picture, like, topless or something. You know what I mean? If you're, you know, like, you kind of do dumb things. Or if you're a guy, like, you eat something stupid. Like, you eat, like, a worm or something. Like, and that's how you get likes. But in other countries, like, apparently in China, they make you, like, work for the, al- like, for the algorithm to push you up.
what, what, what I was going to say real quick uh, about one of the solutions, I think, I think that kids need to, I think there needs to be some sort of either federal or state uh, plan to push to like get vitamins and better meals to kids in school. Because I think the number one thing that I've realized, obviously, besides exercise, like when you eat, like whatever you eat is that's how you feel. Uh, Interesting. Throughout the day. Frank, uh, thank you. Uh, so we covered a lot of ground there. And those of you that are holding, please continue to hold. We're going to take a quick break and then I'll continue with your calls. I'm going to blow out what we had scheduled next, uh, which um, we'll get to a little bit later. It's going to be fun. But uh, to me, this is so important, and I like a lot of what Frank said. I mean, who cares what I, whether I like it or not, but I, I find myself agreeing with much of what Frank said. Here's what um, – where maybe I part company with Frank a little bit is I agree with a lot of what he says are contributory causes. I'll put aside the nutrition situation, the chocolate uh, situation, which I, I can't speak to, but – um, the social media entities and other things. The only thing I part company with from him, I think, is that he said, first, we need the social media companies to do something to fix this. And then he said, we need the state and the federal government to do something to fix this. And I realized he was talking about two separate problems. But, you know, as a new parent, I'm not really that comfortable shrugging my shoulders and saying, well, you know, I really hope Facebook or Meta, they called now, I really hope Meta gets around to fixing whatever the problem is with their format so that my son doesn't suffer from mental illness as a result of using it. And I hope the uh, lawmakers in Albany and Washington that can't seem to fix much of anything, I hope they also fix nutritional standards in school. I'm not comfortable with totally leaving the status of my son's mental health to big tech and big government. I wonder if there's something as individuals we can do a bit more, but I I love this discussion and I think it's going in a, in a direction that uh, is leading to some out of the box thinking, which is what I like to do. 800-848-9222. Everyone's that's holding. We will get to you next. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. You make me feel so young. You make me feel so spring has sprung. And every time I see you grin, I'm such a happy Individual, the moment that you speak, I want to go play hide and seek. I want to go and bounce the moon just like a toy balloon. You and I are just like a couple of tots running across a meadow, picking up lots of. Forget me not. Uh, Frank Sinatra singing, You Make Me Feel So Young. These days, if you feel young, that might mean you feel depressed. 40% of children and teens are depressed. 55% of them report emotional abuse. 10% of them report physical abuse. Um, So far, we've heard a lot of causes as to what's behind this. Uh, I think one of the big, you know what the thing was with the lockdowns 
It caused everything in society that was bending, it caused it to break. And I think childhood depression and mental illness among children is part of that. So I think all of this was already a problem, and this has significantly made it worse. So in terms of solutions, we've got stop telling eight-year-olds they're responsible for slavery. We've got um, religion. We've got keep kids in school. We've got have big tech fix the social media platforms. We've got stay away from dark chocolate and coffee. We've got um, have better nutritional standards in terms of the meals we give in schools. What else? This is a real problem, and I agree this is a national emergency. And I don't feel like, you know, we're dealing with this as if it's a national emergency. I mean, I know the Roe versus Wade decision is important, but maybe we can just discuss that 19 hours a day instead of 22 hours a day and actually talk about some of the children that have already been born. 800-848-WABC. Maria is in Monmouth County. Hello, Maria. Oh, hi. Good to speak to you. Um, Well, everybody can feel a little more relaxed, but Ah. there's nothing you can do. All teenagers hate their parents. Now, that sounds crazy, but I went to a meeting in New York 40 years ago before we had the pandemic, and there were quite well-to-do parents there from all different private schools in Manhattan. So I was there, although I wasn't that well-to-do, and this this important man stood up there, a, a therapist, psychologist, and he said, all of you can know one thing. Your teenagers hate you. Okay, so that's it. This doesn't have to do with wars or anything else. Okay, this has to do with that they are depressed at that age. And of course, that makes them not like a lot of people who are close to them. So that's it. All right. Teenagers hate you. You know, I I don't agree with that, honestly. Um, Look, obviously, my only experience being a teenager was in my own life. And while there's certainly a a streak of rebelliousness that's present in your teens, I didn't hate my parents at all. Um, I love my parents. And uh, I'm sure they would have appreciated if I, you know, was a little less rebellious in certain sectors. But honestly, I am the same. uh, I have the same sense of distrust of authority and rebelliousness, rebelliousness now that I did as a teenager. I never hated my parents. I, I've never, I've heard that so often, and maybe it's uh, more present that with um, girls than boys, but I've never hated my parents, and I don't think that's true, and I, I don't accept that, honestly. Uh, Natalie is in Howard Beach. Hello, Natalie. Natalie? Natalie has found something else to do. Okay. Uh, Natalie wants to call back. She's welcome to. Let's see what the Anthonys have to say. Let me say hello to Anthony in Brooklyn. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Frank. You know, that's not true. I loved my mother growing up as a teenager that we hated our parents. That's not true at all. I just want to just, you know, dispel that myth. But what I have to say is my mother got me a bicycle and I got into bicycle racing. And that helped me a lot because the bicycle Mm. racing, it helps you feel like, uh, you know, like a, a sense of worth. And you get into the sport and you feel you're worth something and you, you feel more valuable. You don't feel like a piece of trash hanging out in the corner doing nothing but drinking and smoking. 
You know, I love this solution, Anthony. Um, do you have children of your own? No, and I'm not going to because, unfortunately, I have mental illness. So I don't want to just pass it down to them. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear about that, and uh, I hope you're you know you're dealing with it as best you can. But um, your advice would be that if they if uh, a parent sees that they have a child that's struggling um, with depression or 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 anything really, that uh, yes. bicycle racing is a great avenue to help break them out of that funk. It absolutely is. Trust me. I know from life experience. All right. Well, thank you, Anthony. Let's see what the the other Anthony's have to say. Anthony in New Jersey. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Frank. How are you doing this morning? Um, okay. Yeah, this is my belief now. Some people have touched on it already, but uh, not in the same aspect that I'm thinking. So what it is is definitely your childhood, your upbringing. Okay. And then you've got your environment which is who you hang out with, where you hang out with, you know, what you're doing. And, again, sports, most definitely. If you're not active and, you know, running around, playing ball, you know, hanging out with your pals, you know, but at a reasonable time, of course. You know, you're home by 5 to have dinner, and then you're doing your home homework and your home thing, you know, with the family. And and I think that everybody's just separated because of the electronic uh, scene, okay, and uh, that's basically it. Man. I, I like it. Make it seems to make sense to me. Uh, thank you. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Oh, hi, Frank. Frank, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. First, keep the kids talking, you know, and make everything fun and enthusiastic. You know, no, don't fight and complain about all the hardships that the parents have right in front of them because it hurts the kids. And if the kids are slow to warm up, ask them a lot of open-ended questions, not yes and no questions. Mm. You could start with their likes and dislikes and people they know, and then try to get them with a lot of hands-on activities, writing about people they know if they don't want to talk about people they know, or for them a reward if they could put together like five little short stories about experiences they had. And you can get a lot out of the kids drawing it, you know, from stuff they wouldn't ordinarily talk about, make it fun. Teach them not to compare themselves to others. And that's why I hate that social media, because I think that that's a springboard for people starting to compare their lives to others. And if the kids are isolated, it's a great time to learn a musical instrument. Oh, I played the piano as a kid, and the piano was my therapy my whole life. And I have a gig. I sing songs uh, of the very life I lived, you know? I love this, Gina. That's great. That's That's great practical advice. I love this. And and the piano, I mean, I have a portable, but, you know, the one that you couldn't move. Uh, When you're stuck at home, you you know, I played my piano. Get Uh, the sheet music of the songs the kids love, you know. Let them start with songs they know. And find stuff that they can do and have success. And, you know, a big thing I really believe in is teaching them to stay positive and not to compare themselves to others. Uh, that's very sound advice, Gina. Thank you. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm reading this list from in this Axios article yesterday of how all of us can help this crisis. One, and some of them are not far off from what Gina was mentioning. One was look for outward signs that something's wrong. Rapid weight gain or weight loss, falling grades, mood swings, frequent headaches and fatigue. And fatigue. Don't avert your gaze. Number two. Don't just watch, ask. 
young people want attention and questions even if they act otherwise. That goes hand in hand with what Gina was saying. Open-ended questions, she was saying. Three, read between the lines. We look at the kids who are irritable or angry and we say they're bad or mad. That's according to Ken Ginsberg, a pediatrician and the founder of the Center for Parent and Teen Communication. That's how they show they're sad. Number four, call in professionals. If the price is steep, start with cheap or free resources at the child's pediatrician office, school, or house of worship. All those places have adults trained to counsel. And number five, insist on answers. Don't assume specialists are omniscient. Seek second opinions. If they prescribe medication, follow up with them on why and the side effects. Alcohol often causes problems when mixed with medication. Help teens understand this. And according to that fellow, um, Ken Ginsburg, you don't ha- you don't need to have the perfect words. You just need to show up. I think that's important advice. But I feel like a lot of parents are showing up and they're still having a, a tough time. 800-848-WABC. Virginia is in the Bronx. Hello. Hello, Frank. Yes. Hi, Virginia. Uh, y- yes. Hi. This is not a new subject. I mean, six, seven years ago, I used to go to Jacoby Hospital on lectures how teens were the biggest group that commit suicide. But a lot of it had to do with social media and bullying. There were so many children who killed themselves because they were hurt from people being bullied over over the social media. So social media definitely has something to do with it. As far as the nutrition, they were already trying to get better meals, and the kids were not eating the better meals. They didn't want the better meals. Mm. They were bringing snacks home from their school, eating it, and throwing throwing away the meals. So I'm not sure what the answer is, but like the woman before said, I think playing an instrument might help, and keeping them busy, and definitely keeping them off of social media. I think the pandemic might have made things worse. Oh, well, I mean, clearly the statistics bear that out. Absolutely. Well, now you have guns and hate. Hate that is is, is despicable. Yeah, you know? uh, well so said, you, Virginia. Now Absolutely. you have adults that hate one another. Before, it was bullying where the kids hate the kids. But now you even have adults who hate adults and kids. It's tripled the hatred. Well, thank you, Virginia. I'll be honest. I don't know that hatred among adults is as big of a problem as many in the media are making it out to be. You know, I just read this book, and I'm hoping to have the author on soon. Uh, It's called I, Citizen by Tony Woodleaf. That's the dinner I went to last week, which was, you know, a nice dinner last Thursday. And he talks about how once you get people talking with one another – They really have so much more in common. And I just read this um, op-ed in the New York Times of this young Democratic um, state lawmaker in Maine. Maine again. We're talking about Maine. And she and her – she just wrote this book with another Democratic activist in Maine. And it's all about how the Democratic Party has abandoned rural America. And essentially, the two of them talk about how bad that is, one, for the Democratic Party, and two, for rural America. And they have this whole playbook of how Democrats can win back rural America. And you know what it all comes down to? I read the whole op-ed. And not that it's a lengthy op-ed. I mean, it was a few paragraphs. But 
what it all comes down to in their view is try. The modus operandi among Democratic activists, Democratic leadership now, and I don't mean to make this political, but there is a point that I'm trying to get to here, um, is just to, if there were Trump voters, they're not going to vote for you. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your breath. What you need to do is work on getting your own people to turn out. People that are likely to vote Democrat because of their uh, socioeconomic background or because of whatever else, their their gender or their sexuality, focus just on those people. Those rural folks, those Trump voters, ignore them. It's a waste of time. And these authors talk about the success that they've had as progressives reaching out to rural voters and how Democrats around the country, they don't even want to try. And I think that's so important. And to Virginia's point, and I appreciate the sentiment behind her call, but I don't think hate is progressive. When I see people get together at a bar or a cigar shop or in a park, they have so much more in common than they have apart. It doesn't matter if they're from different races, different ethnic groups, different religions, different politics, different age groups. The their blood is the same color. So I really don't think adults hate one another. I think the media, especially cable news, has an interest in making all adults think that people that aren't like them do hate one another. But I don't think that's reality. Those of you that are holding, uh, we will still get to you. We're going to go through the mail straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, your email, we'll get through it at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. We will also read the best snail mail as well straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. I know you didn't get your head down so you could just sit down and just sit still. Hey, we trying to have a good time tonight. Let's go, baby. Let's go, baby. It's my birthday. Uh, no, it's not. But I still look good, though. Uh, how come? How? I bet you want an autograph. You and your friends. Gotta do it in the penthouse. That's why I keep my pen. What you can't This is Bruno Mars. Uh, I'm Frank Moreno uh, with you until 5 o'clock this morning, taking you to the WABC early news. A lot of stuff uh, we're going to get to, including next hour. Very, very much looking forward to talking with Michael Hawk. Uh, This guy is as tough as they come. And uh, you might have seen him on television or read one of his books, but the guy's a bright guy. Uh, So we're going to get into the epidemic of military suicide, and I'll get his take on the Russia-Ukraine situation. But first, uh, I want to get to your correspondence. If you ever want to write to me, you can do so at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Or you could send me a piece of snail mail at P.O. Box 1777. New York, New York, um, 10163. But just make sure you send it to my attention, Frank Morano, and we'll get it eventually. And then you may soon see your letter read on the next edition of...
this is a letter that comes to us from Massachusetts, dated October of 2021. Why am I just getting this now? Dear Mr. Morano, by the way, you can just call me Frank. So glad to hear that you accept so-called snail mail, which is what I call real mail and always will. Uh, Do I have something that will likely amaze you and your listeners, not to mention everybody you work with? Sure do. I'm liking this letter. I don't think anybody will censor you for discussing it on air, as the evidence is openly available to all. Hmm. Before I get to that, oh, I like this. This is quite a tease. Before I get to that, I'll give you a real weather report on what's been going on up here in Massachusetts. This so-called spring and summer, nothing but rain, cloudy days and suffocating humidity, the likes of which I've never felt in my life. And I'm in my mid-60s. Add to that a mosquito plague. And I'm not kidding. Due to the apparent death of the bat population up here, due to a contagious fungus, bats eat mosquitoes. So no bats and you get tortured by mosquitoes. If you hear New Englanders are coming down with malaria, don't be surprised. It's been that bad. Now to the eerie stuff. Do I believe we're in the last days? Yes, as in mankind's last days. The sound-alike word in English before the species finally wakes up to the whole brain conscious perception, which is the second coming of Christ, as in coming to, out of a long and tragic half-brain trance stasis, the old economist's Hypnotists would like everybody to remain stuck in, well, they can't pull that old scam over my eyes anymore, thanks to the living Christ. I wanted to share several amazing things in this long letter, and trust me, you won't be bored. Concerning the late Prince Philip, who died on April 9th, 2021, when once asked about reincarnation, Philip reportedly said that if it exists, he'd like to come back as a virus, his actual words. Well, he went out with what I believe to be a media-generated virus. Hysteria. Was he in the know about all the secret pre-planning for this? I'm sure he was. Now to the weird part, which makes you wonder about these secretive occult groups. Remember the old Ripley's Believe It or Not column? Well, Philip's death would undoubtedly be mentioned, and here goes. Prince Philip died at the age of 99, which just happened to be on the 99th day of the year. Check it out. Add those numbers, 99 together, and they reduce to 18. Add that, 18 together, and you get 9. And his date of death, 4-9-2021. When added together, reduces to 9. After reducing to 18, so 9-9-9. Now flip those three 9s upside down, and you get... 666. Spooky. And I'm reminded that in one of the Beatles albums, I think from Revolver, there's a song that ends with the line, number nine, number nine, number nine. And Philip's deaths featured that. Explain it, because I can't. Simply too weird. But that's not all. I'm a very well-read person. No brag, just fact. Over many decades, and out of curiosity, I studied occult numerology for a time. Are they using it against life in our day? Well, something is surely going on. I've also read and reread all of Emerson's essays. Mr. Moreno, get that book. If only to read his essay on Napoleon, it's exactly what's going on now with what I call the Pentagon complex. Now to the occult significance of the number 13. This will blow your mind. Because that was my reaction. We've all heard of Friday the 13th as unlucky. Why? Because that was the day in history when the secret order of the Knights Templar were tortured and murdered for their secrets. Supposedly by the Jesuit order of the Roman Catholic Church. Or 
a branch of the church. I'm not sure which. The Templars were some of the early crusaders to the Holy Land. We are now on only page three of this letter, by the way. And this letter is, I see now, six pages. So I think we're going to end it on page three. I I don't want to give anyone in short shrift, but I want to give everybody the opportunity. Uh, Okay. Actually, I think we'll end it there. There's a lot more to this. But uh, to the person that wrote this, M in Massachusetts, thank you. Thank you for writing. Uh, We'll end this there. All right. To email, Randall writes, subject, tip jar. I use a tip jar button for various donations to my project. It works sometimes and is not considered taxable under a certain amount. Mostly I use PayPal as a banking vehicle. Try it. I'd tip your content works. Uh, You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if our boss, Chad Lopez, would like that. Honestly, I could just see him saying, well, you're trying to make money with the show. You know, it's a little too close to payola. If you want a tip, um, I think the best thing to do is if you see me on the street, just give me a couple of bucks. Or if you, you know, are putting together your last will and testament, just put me in your will. That is a nice thing. Uh, All right. So that's that. Okay. This is snail mail again. Uh, This is from uh, Elaine. Uh, Hello, Frank Morano. Yes, it's me once again, Elaine from Mountainside, New Jersey. As you can see, I am not a small car. I'm not using a small card to communicate with you. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry I did that, but I'm very conservative individual lady. Okay. Anyway. When you did your last letters segment of your great nightly radio show like two weeks ago and then you read my poem I wrote for you, for some reason you repeated my name like three times, Frank. I think I got your point. And then you made a comment regarding my poem. I did not quite get your point. Your comment, your, you in some capacity was putting me down, criticizing me. Oh, well, whatever. Anyway, my poem to you is in well-meaning and how we all love and appreciate you, Frank Moreno. That was what I intended it to be, nothing else. I wait up every night right after Dominic and then you. When do I sleep? Good question, my dear. Love hearing about your beloved wife, Rachel, and new baby Carmine. You're a very, very lucky man, Frank. Hoping that you know that. Take care now and keep up the good work. You're an asset to the radio station, Elaine from Mountainside, New Jersey. On my way to AC this Wednesday. Haven't been down since COVID arrived on the scene. I hope you did well. Uh, Elaine, that's uh, very nice. I, I, I don't, I don't remember her poem, but uh, I wasn't trying to put it down. If anything, I was probably poking fun at the fact that it was written on a very, very small font. Now I know why I never allow poetry on the airwaves. Uh, this is an email from Sal. Hey Frank, how are you? I find your discussion of Maine's rehab program for the residents interesting, but what about victims of crime? What about those victims of home invasion, robbery, muggings? What about those victims who have been maimed, mutilated, raped, and murdered? How do those victims benefit? What do they get out of it? Well, it's a good question, Sal. And the most immediate thing they get out of it is money. Because if these prisoners are not working and not earning any money, they're never going to make restitution to their victims. If they have some money coming in, that will allow them to make restitution to these victims. All right. uh, This is from Kenny in Trenton, New Jersey. Mr. Frank Morano, hello. Good morrow. And Mr. Morano, I listen to your program on my way to work at 2.30 a.m. And the other night, you asked about letter writing. I've been an autograph collector for many years, and I love to write letters by snail mail. To me, a response is a person taking minutes out of their lives and give it back to me. Mr. Morano, I would like to add your autograph to my collection. Would you please send me a signed photo? Best wishes to you and Mr. Morano, uh, Mrs. Morano on your upcoming child. Your fun your fan and friend, Kenny, in Trenton. That's nice. You know, I don't have photos, actually. The, we should have them print some photos for us so that I can give Kenny or anybody that wants one a photo. 
I'm going to – would you put that on the list for the weekly meeting this week, Matt? That's very nice. All right. Um, I got that here. Okay. Most of the rest – let me just finish these two snail mail letters here. This is from Diana in Ohio. You know, we have a lot of listeners in Ohio. And it's funny. Whenever we talk about us being number one in the ratings, that's just number one in New York. I wonder if we're starting to surface on the ratings in Ohio as well. All right. Let's see here. Oh, this is nice. Nice piece of artwork here. Dear Mr. Morano, I am James in Ohio. My ham call is, I don't know if he wants me to mention it, I have an idea to change your snail mail format. It would require John spending 50 bucks for first 500 WABC station cards, maybe Statue of Liberty or Empire State on front with WABC. It would also require you offering the card to Europe and USA and anywhere else and giving your address every night. I found I had trouble obtaining station cards from overseas short cards because they very rarely gave their mailing address. It would be interesting to be, see all the places you are being heard, especially, you know, this is actually a good idea. Since I've talked to Italy on QRP, only five watts, albeit was a band that goes further on less power than WABC band. Your sender should include a signal report on postcard or QSL top reports. This is not a bad idea. You can study, I think, or order paperback. Ba, 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 ba. There you go. And then he includes a postcard from Ohio and shows that he's listening in Ohio. That's uh that's very nice, actually. I'm going to save that. That's uh, very, very kind. One last one here we'll get to before we run out of time. This is uh, from Mike in New Jersey. Uh, it may take me a minute to open this. Okay. Um, this is a book, which I look forward to reading, and a letter with it. The book is, you know, Philippe, we can open the envelope in the future. Um, 2033, When the Creator Returns, Dear Frank, Enjoy my book. I'm sure the UFO chapter will interest you. Cheers, Mike Ritter. I will read this. I will enjoy it. All right, if we didn't get to you this time, we'll try next time that we do. Until next hour, keep asking questions. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC And WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. Good morning, I'm Bob Brown. Prices at the pump on the rise as the price of oil continues to surge. What are you paying where you live? If you live in the city, you're probably paying about $4.63 a gallon for regular. Nationally, the average price of regular-grade gas jumping $0.15 over the past two weeks to $4.38 per gallon. 
Attorney General Letitia James announcing new legislation to protect abortion in New York State. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer calling for a Senate vote Wednesday to order Roe v. Wade into federal law. He wants to force lawmakers to, quote, show which side they are on. New York Governor Kathy Hochul testing positive for COVID over the weekend. She's quarantining and is working from home. Hochul's both vaccinated and boosted and is reported to be asymptomatic. Frank Morano on the other side of Midnight up next on 77 WABC. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Tonight, mostly clear skies, lows in the mid to upper 40s. Tomorrow, sunny, high near 70. Right now, mostly clear outside the 77 WABC Midtown Manhattan Studios. I'm Bob Brown. Remember, the news never stops at WABCradio.com. 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. the other side of midnight i'm frank moreno um you know i've mentioned before that um my wife carries uh pepper spray with her uh, at all times now technically pepper spray is uh, illegal in new york but I'll, I'll tell you i'm glad that she that she carries the pepper spray with her because if i'm not with her and she's out somewhere and she gets uh accosted by someone i would like her to have something to defend herself and at least buy her a little bit of time to prevent her from being assaulted or heaven forbid, whatever else. And that's why I was really interested in this op-ed piece in the New York Post over the weekend by Ricky Schlott. Ricky Schlott is a young woman, uh, I believe she's 21 years old, and she's right on the money here. And she writes, in early December, I came face to face with a predator on the streets of New York and the pepper spray hanging from my bedazzled pink keychain, turned out to be my saving grace. Around 5 p.m. on a Wednesday, I was walking home from the gym on a busy street near Union Square when a man lewdly catcalled me. I ignored it, kept my head down, and picked up the pace. But no matter how fast I booked it, his voice kept getting closer. I mean, you talk about as a woman, especially as a 20- or 21-year-old, how frightening that must be. His sexual comments turned violent as he pursued me for four blocks. Four blocks! I desperately searched for cops, but I didn't see a single officer. That's when I made the decision to run into a crowded pharmacy, hoping to lose him and find safety in numbers. But the man followed me inside. Can you imagine if this was your sister, your daughter, your wife? He blocked the only exit and spewed derogatory names at me while yelling, quote, you know I could rape you. Imagine as a 21-year-old being chased for four blocks and somebody tells you that, not a cop in sight. To my shock, the two dozen or so people in the pharmacy, patrons, employees, and even a uniformed security guard 
all averted their eyes. Now, by the way, I don't know anything about Ricky Schlott. I don't know who she is. She could be the most credible person in the world or the least. Um, so I can't confirm this version of events. I'm just offering it, as they say in court, not for the truth of his content, but the fact that it was said. As he began to approach me, I remembered the mace in my pocket. I clicked open the canister and he hesitated, giving me a split second to dash for the door. Riding a rush of adrenaline, I ran all the way home, locked my apartment door behind me and broke down crying. If I hadn't had the threat of mace, I have no idea how that encounter would have endured. That encounter would have ended. But I know for sure that my pepper spray got me out of a dangerous situation. Now, I never leave the house without it. As a young woman facing down a crime wave in New York, pepper spray is the only method of self-defense at my disposal. So why are we talking about this? But a ludicrous law stands in the way of New Yorkers getting access to this most basic form of self-defense. While anyone can order mace online via Amazon, a state law prohibits the product from being shipped to New York addresses. She's exactly right. We were talking about this over the weekend. But my sister's in her 20s, not much older than this woman. And um, we were talking about how she and my future sister-in-law, Kat, should carry pepper spray with them. And we talked about how you can't order it and get it shipped to New York. We have to have it sent to my cousin in Pennsylvania and have my Pennsylvania cousin somehow give it to them. There are only a handful of in-person locations that sell pepper spray in the city, many of which have shuttered since the pandemic. Online message boards are flooded with dangerous, with desperate New Yorkers trading notes on where to find it. And yet, despite a mounting need for self-defense, this law stands. Overall, crime is up 60% since last year, and the city's been rocked by hate crimes, subway shovings, and heinous murders. Meanwhile, New Yorkers desperate to defend themselves are being forced to jump through hoops to buy mace. In April, a group handing out pepper spray to women and the elderly in Chinatown attracted a line spanning blocks along Mulberry Street. A total of 550 canisters were snapped up in just 30 minutes. You know, this is a good idea for Curtis, actually. And I would maybe do this with him. To hand out pepper spray to young women taking the subway who don't feel safe. And I bet you, you know, John Katsimatidis is such a public safety advocate. I bet you he would buy the pepper spray for them. Because, he, you know, he's a father of a daughter as well. And it's not to say that... Um, Men can't benefit from this as well. But, you know, you think of young women being people being accosted by creeps like the person that Ricky Schlott is writing about here. When the barista at my local coffee shop asked me where I got my mace keychain, she was disappointed to hear it required a Jersey zip code. I've even become a de facto distributor myself. Multiple New York City friends concerned for their safety have asked me if they can ship pepper spray to my family's address in Jersey so I can deliver a direct deliver it to them. The bottom line, the ban on shipping pepper spray is ridiculous. 
vulnerable New Yorkers shouldn't be waiting on lines, contacting out-of-state friends or scouring Reddit threads to find it. And with more than one and a half million single women and one million elderly residents in the city, there's no place where easy access to basic non-lethal self-defense is more necessary. I completely agree with this. And I'll tell you, you know, this is something, you know, if uh, Governor Hochul's got an election coming up in either June or August and then another one in September, she should make this an issue tomorrow. And Eric Adams, Mr. Public Safety, he should make this an issue yesterday. This is crazy. Why should it be illegal to send pepper spray to a New York address? Here's a product that you can order on Amazon. It's non-lethal. Heaven forbid you make a mistake. You could still order it. And, I mean, to me, this has got to be the easiest layup in the world for the mayor and the governor. And in the in the meantime, I am going to suggest to my friend Curtis Lewa that he does a pepper spray giveaway on the subway. I think a lot of people would be grateful for this. You know, what I don't understand, and if you want to comment on this, you can at 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. How can anyone be against this? What's the possible benefit of preserving this prohibition on pepper spray being sent to New York State? 800 800- 848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222-1234. Four open lines if you want to comment. Those of you that are on hold, I'll get to you. Uh, we'll let you comment on whatever you like. To me, um, I was so glad that Ricky Schlott wrote that piece in the post, and I was so glad that I read it, and I hope that by me talking about it, it will raise awareness among policymakers to do away with this absurd law. What do you think? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mark on Staten Island has been holding for a while. Hello, Mark. Hi, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. I'll be as quick as I can, but I need a little time. It's my second call in twenty years. The last call I made was when interest rates were lowest they've been in the history of the country. Nobody could give you a good reason why. And meanwhile, the prime rate was you know two percent. We're paying fifteen on credit cards these days. I left Wall Street. I'm working. I'm a, I'm a track mutual clerk working for about eight nine years. And I'm calling because I love Curtis Lee. I followed his career. I, I, I admire him tremendously. I never heard him sound so stupid as he did yesterday, talking about Kentucky Derby. He doesn't know what he's talking about. First of all, you know, why is he talking about call the horse strike at Red's lucky strike? The horse made a million point, $1.8 million in 2.2 minutes. He thinks it's 51 seconds. I mean, I love the guy, but he sounds like a sore loser. I'm a $2 better, but I've, I play on horses 50 years, go to Saratoga every year for 50 years. I go to the seminars at the Regazin Sheets years ago, you know, and uh, had an occasion yesterday. Well, uh, yeah, it's Kentucky Derby, a guy from Staten Island comes up, says, I got to buy a ticket for my 92-year-old father, one, but the 21 horse, I said, he's not in here yet, the 20 scratch. But then later on, the horse gets in, and I go look around the track to find the guy. I felt so bad. Couldn't find him. About an hour and a half later, he comes back, and I say, uh, geez, where the hell are you? I couldn't find you. Felt so bad. He goes, ah, it's all right. I put the bed. He said, but you gave me this ticket. Either I gave you the wrong number or you gave me the wrong ticket. Paid $3,900. Great country, right? But I, I was really disappointed in Curtis. I mean, for a guy who's, I admire him so much, he sounds so dumb, doesn't know what he's talking about, the horses. Stay in your own lane. 
Hey, you know, stay with what you do best. Jack Nichols used to say, you know, when you practice your golf shots, you don't practice your bad shots, you practice your good shots. Well, look, uh, Mark, thank you for the call. I'm glad you called. But um, not knowing about something would never stop Curtis from talking about it. Uh, That's the first thing you need to understand. In fact, there is actually an inverse relationship. The less Curtis knows about a subject, the more likely he is to talk about it. That's actually that's actually true. <laughs> Experts have studied that and written about it. Um, I think one gentleman's actually working on a scholarly thesis to that effect. <laughs> 800-848-9222. Should they do away with this law which prohibits pepper spray, which you could purchase legally on Amazon, but you can't get it mailed to your house if you live in New York? In my view, you they should. 800-848-9222. Howard in Elmhurst. Hello. Thank you, Frank. How are you? Um, anyway, I when I, I took a course in the learning annex many years ago. I had mad get even. I forget who the teacher is, who was. I'm sorry, um, but he he said another thing you can use, women can use is flares. Criminals know knives, they know guns, but they don't know flares. So light up a flare and throw it at somebody if they if they. If they're about to well, attack. can you get can you get a flare, a gun legally mailed to your address in New York? I honestly don't know because if you can't, then I feel like we have the same problem. You might, but I'm not. I'm not sure, really. I, you know, I thought you might know. Yeah, I, I'll have to look that up. I, I um, but it's a, if you can, if you can get a, a flare gun legally sent to you, that strikes me as uh, as as a good thing. I mean, the thing that I like about pepper spray, and thanks for the call, Howard. And the thing that I like about my wife carrying it, and you know, my sister carrying it, and my sister-in-law and whomever else, is that it's relatively inexpensive. It's relatively light. You can easily just put it on a keychain, and it. Um, if you're wrong, I mean, it's not comfortable for somebody to get doused with pepper spray, but if you're wrong, you're not killing anyone. I don't know if uh, something like a flare gun has those same advantages. I, I don't. I'm speaking totally from ignorance. I like the pepper spray solution, and I just wish they would let you have it in New York and have it get mailed to you legally. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Peter in New Jersey. Hello, Peter. Yeah, hi, Frank. Spectacular uh, program a little while ago, and your thoughts were very important on this whole subject of happiness and children. Thank you. Uh, my quick thoughts were: all of us mortal humans every one of us is children we're the same <clears throat> except in in size and and our number age same subject though and what i've learned you know i'm 65 years old a lot of studying what i've learned is there there are no answers no and nothing works so it's important to know that subject uh, assumption to start with you're never going to find any lasting uh, joy in government, the world's promises, entertainment, any of that. The the best that we can g- go for as mortal humans is what they call a, a sublime and a quiet hope and a joy. And it's quiet. It's not happy. Happy is only a mood. But a quiet, sublime joy and hope, those are, those are graces. Those are religious, uh, spiritual graces. And um, 
you know, I'm a Roman Catholic. That's the one I look for because they got the sub uh, this uh, confession clemency sacrament, which uh, which I like. And to help with the whole process, our assignment is to serve God in this life, be happy with him in the next. So that's that's my point. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, what I would say, uh, keeping it short, the parables of Jesus, that's how he primarily taught in public, his parables, and he talks exactly about this entire macro-level subject, the parables. There's about 20 of them. And at the very end of his life, when he was crucified on the tree, he had one guy on the left of him and one guy on the right of him also crucified. The one on the left symbolized the zero. It's either a zero or a one. The one on the right, Jesus had a conversation, guaranteed him clemency. The one on the left, he ignored him completely because he was the guy on the left was insolent, not humble, not uh, contrite or any other subject. So with every human, there's a proportion of humans, only a proportion, and that understand. And God is not able to to force or work with all the ones who don't want uh, to do their part, if you will. So this is the subject, and it, and it's coming to a, a, a you know a boiling uh, crescendo in our history, in our time. And the word is not the end of uh, the age or the end of the world, any of that. It's the completion of the age, which is a much more proper understanding where we have been and where we are now. We're heading toward the completion. And so a Roman Catholic should go to sacrament of confession. All right, but, uh, uh, well, the... thank you, Peter. You know, again, I appreciate that, the sentiments. And, uh, uh, you know, I... I pray a great deal and, and hope that my son will, you know, be raised uh, in a manner that's consistent with Christian values. But I, I find that whether we're talking about crime in New York and this ludicrous law which prohibits pepper spray from being mailed to New York, or whether we're talking about depression in kids, the mental health crisis in involving children, I think spirituality, religion, organized religion – and the fellowship that comes with organized religion, it can be a, a component of solving a lot of these problems. But I think a lot of these are very secular problems. And I know many of you clearly disagree with me. But I think, look, you can be an atheist or an agnostic and be depressed and do things like take drugs and drink alcohol in which case you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting everyone you interact with. Or you can be an atheist that is not depressed and doesn't drink and doesn't do drugs. So I I know a lot of people are very well-intentioned with making Jesus the solution to all this stuff. But I feel like there's got to be some solutions even if you're not ready to be you know, a Christian, if that makes sense. Uh, by the way, I got a I got a message here from Joe on Facebook, and you can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Morano Fan. He says, you cannot buy a flare gun in New York 
and they will not ship it to New York. So for those of you that were considering a flare gun as an alternative, that doesn't work. There's one simple solution that could be done here. Lift the ban on mailing pepper spray to New York State. I am yet to hear from one person that could explain to me why this law exists. Makes no sense in my judgment. Barbara is on Long Island. Hello, Barbara. Hello, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. I was followed many years ago, followed off the subway on the evening at 9 o'clock. I knew I would never make it up my street because it was dark. It was residential. So I walked in the drugstore. Well, it was too crowded. So I walked next door to the liquor store and told the owner, I'm afraid I'm being followed. He said, stay here. He called 911, and the police officer came and ushered the man away. Now, I'm not sure they could do that today. And then the owner of the liquor store had his delivery boy walk me home, which was a nice gesture. Now, this is many, many years ago, and I'm not sure we could follow that protocol. But with the young lady... If I had been her, and maybe I'm wrong, I would have gone up to the security guard and said, I'm afraid I'm being, and you couldn't miss this guy, he's following me, and I'm afraid, could you please call the police? And she didn't apparently do that. Well, you're right. I mean, look, I only have her column um, and I didn't interrogate her. But I think uh, and first of all, I'm glad you were OK in your situation, Barbara. But I think her point, her broader point is still a good one, which is that they should just let these women or, or even men purchase pepper spray and have absolutely. it mailed to them in New York. No question. No question. You're absolutely right. And, you know, in the panic of the moment, she might not have thought of that. You don't know right. what right. Exactly. in that situation. You're exactly right. Uh, she's trying to move quickly. Adrenaline's, adrenaline's flowing. Great point, Barbara. Thank you. Vinny's in Caldwell. Hello, Vinny. Yeah, how you doing, Frank? Uh, I have an alternative to pepper spray, uh, Aquanet hairspray, the small cans. It works even better than pepper You're spray. You're kidding, really? Aquanet hairspray? Because it has alcohol in it and whatever substance that makes it sticky. It's the stickiest hairspray. And it, if you ever get it in your eye, you know, you'll know what I'm talking about. So so um, if a woman um, doesn't have a friend in Jersey or Pennsylvania and they want to get something to, you know, help, help them buy some time if they're assaulted or something or accosted, you say carry some Aquanet hairspray and spray it in the eyes or the face of your attacker. Yes. That's good advice, Vinny. Thank you. Great stuff. All right, later, buddy. Thank you. Kevin in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Frank. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I believe that it should be legal for, for everyone, and you know, especially women. But I actually saw a man use it one time. And uh, let me tell you, it, it neutralized. It, it, remember back in the wilding days? Oh, yeah. They were, there was a group of kids. It was, uh, it was uh, New Year's Eve. We were over there for New Year's Eve, me and my brothers. And they were, there was a group of them, and they were going around attacking people, and I mean attacking them really bad as well. And uh, they were ripping women's pocketbooks off. They were like molesting where, women. Where they was this? Where did, where did it take place? It was in Times Square. Oh, in Times this Square. The year, this, yeah, this is when they made all public transportation free on New Year's Eve. They did it for like two years in a row, two or three years in a row. I'm talking about, you know, 30 years ago, I think. But uh, so the guy, the, the group was going around beating people up, taking the women's pocketbooks. One guy 
turned around and sprayed a big circle of the, the pepper spray. And he had one of those big, you know, those favelas, those big horns that they blow with the soccer Oh, yeah, yeah, Fuvazelas, yes. Yeah, so he had he had like a heavy-duty plastic one. It was He sprayed them all. They all stopped. They all screamed and yelling. And he beat every one of them. One guy, and it was about eight of them, he beat them all up with that thing. And that was the end of that. So it works. It's practical. My daughter's been carrying it for about 10 years. She's 25. She's been carrying it for about 10 years. And we're in Jersey, obviously. We could get it. So it's I believe in it 100%. Uh, same here, Kevin. That whole group. Kevin, thank yep. you for sharing that. It was so much wisdom in that call. I want to go to another Kevin in New Jersey. In New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Hey, good morning, Frank. A uh, foaming hornet spray. You can buy two cans for six ninety nine. It's the cheapest way. You keep it by your door, and it gets on the uh, person's face, and it kind of sticks there. And also, as far as the, the flare goes, any marine store, you can buy a, uh, it, whether it's New York or New Jersey, you could buy a flare device because you have to have those uh, items in your boat. And how much How much you... does a flare gun go for? I'm not sure, but they have the little ones that pop. It kind of doesn't really look like a shape of a gun. It's gotcha. kind of like you pull back and you, you release it. But, I mean, gotcha. honestly, that that the... I mean, it's not a, the the hornet spray is really it, it shoots ten feet. You don't have to be near somebody, and this stuff sticks to your face, so it gives you plenty of time. And like I said, it's cost effective. It's only six ninety nine. Now, uh, a fine point, Kevin. Thank you. Hey, coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in Ukraine, and uh, we're also going to talk about the real big problem with uh, veteran suicide. You're really going to. I want to hear from Michael Hawk. If you know who Michael Hawk is, you already know you're in for a treat. If you're not familiar with Michael Hawk, uh, as one friend of mine described him to me, this guy is the real deal. Agree, disagree, doesn't matter. This guy's tough as nails and smart as a whip. Uh, We'll talk with Michael Hawk straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that you can say about Michael Hawk, but two things that you can't say are, one, that he's not tough, and two, that he's not qualified. He is a retired U.S. Army Special Forces officer, an author, a television personality, an expert on survival. He speaks more languages than I knew existed, and these days he's also the uh, military spokesman for the Gold Shield, uh, a group that is uh, very important to me and doing some very important work, and when it seems like the world is just on on fire, any corner of the globe that you look to, I can't think of a better person to help break down some of what's happening than Michael Hawk. Mike, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I'm a big fan of yours and your work. Sir, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Let me begin with Ukraine. I know you've been very vocal on Ukraine, very active in trying to help a lot of the people that are suffering in Ukraine. I think a lot of people, uh, not the least of which are the folks in the Kremlin, thought that this war was going to turn out very differently at the outset than it has turned out. Even uh, as recently as a few days ago, it seemed like Vladimir Putin wanted this whole thing wrapped up by Victory Day, by May 9th. It turned out that that's not the case. Um, Where do you see this going? How do you see this Ukraine war uh, with Russia 
ending and what's the best case scenario, not only for the United States, but for the people in Eastern Europe? Oh, man, that's a, a brilliant question. And it's pretty wide open. Um, I think and you know, if you just step back a second, Putin just basically doesn't trust anyone and surrounding himself with a bunch of yes men because everybody's too afraid to say no to the guy. So he basically drank his own Kool-Aid. And I think the, be, the big secret here about Ukraine is the Russians simply do not have the will. The general population sees Ukraine as their neighbor and partner. They're like, why are we doing this? We all know that, you know, Putin is a megalomaniac. He is a murderer and he set himself a goal. And, and you're right. The, the Russians do not have the will and the Ukrainians have all the will in the world in spades. And a lot of Americans don't realize, but the Soviet Union basically forced them into the fold. They, the Russians have constantly been trying to kill the Ukrainians through starvation and through deprivation. So this is merely an extension of something that's been going on for well over 100 years. And now I think what it comes down to in a classic American terms, you know, you've got a truly bad, bad guy, a really good, good guy. And they are like the Wolverines. They are small, but they absolutely have the will to fight. And that has brought spank and pain to Putin, much to my happiness. And I think a lot of Americans. So uh, now to answer your question about what I think is going to happen. Well, in my personal opinion, Putin's already lost. Period. I mean, the Iron Curtain can't keep the truth out forever. And the more his people realize that he is lying to them, the more they will get upset. I mean, I've I fought against the Russians. I fought with the Russians and I have a lot of admiration and respect for the regular common Russian people. I have nothing but utter disdain for Putin. I've studied him his whole career and he is a very horrible human being. So um, he's already lost. But how is that end going to play out? Well, I do believe that Ukrainians are going to get a lot of support. All the other neighbors are starting to see Russia starting to act like they want to invade them next. So everybody's like, you know what? We're all going to unite, and this isn't going to end well for you. It's just how many people are going to die before they get there, and he acts, actually withdraws. I don't know. Um, I do worry that he will pop a small nuke, blame it on someone else, and say, call it a victory, or say, hey, it's unsafe for our troops. We're going to look out for him and pull him out. Whatever it will be, it will be a lie on Putin's part, and the Ukrainians will prevail. We're talking with Michael Hawk. You could check out his website. You could spend years on there. There's so much content on there. MichaelHawk.com. That's M-Y-K-E-L-H-A-W-K-E.com. You know, I know your characterization of the conflict as Putin having already lost. As you point out, um, I don't know that you can ever totally count a country out when they have nuclear weapons and have expressed a willingness to uh, to use them. With that being said, do you think that the Ukrainian victories over the Russians or the, the setbacks to the Russian army, do you think there's a chance that that might actually make a diplomatic solution more likely here? Because Putin and the Russians thought this was going to be a cakewalk, but because the Ukrainian opposition is much more strident than they anticipated, maybe this brings them back to the negotiating table, albeit at the butt of a gun? I'm not 100% sure on that. And the reason is very simple. Um, Putin, while he has done very poorly militarily here, he is not going to want to give up any ground that he already got earlier, like in 2014. So I do not see him meeting the demands of the Ukrainians, which is we want all of our original territory back. We want promises that you won't come back in and we want to be able to join the EU. None of those things are going to set well with Putin. And so I don't know that he's going to do it unless 
they can bring enough pain long enough that he just decides it's better to negotiate and withdraw. We'll see what happens there. We will indeed. I think it's going to be very difficult. It's difficult for me to see any scenario in which Crimea, for instance, goes back into uh, Ukrainian control. But uh, as you said, uh, this has been nothing if not unpredictable. We'll see. Hey, I know you've been very active in a lot of the efforts for humanitarian aid. And I think however people feel about this conflict all over the globe, you see these people lose their lives. You see these people lose their homes, these millions of folks uh, becoming refugees overnight. Uh, there's a lot of confusion among rank and file Americans who have good hearts about what the best way to help is and how to make sure their help doesn't get into the wrong hands. Do you have a, a, a favorite uh, charity or a favorite cause or a way that you direct folks to to help the folks that are hurt by this conflict? Absolutely. I'm really, really big on, on getting medical care. And, and healthcare providers in the war zones. I've been doing it for a couple of decades now. I very much find it important that you verify and validate all your sources. So I go to Radio Free Ukraine. They work with the Ministry of Health, so you can get all your donations. Or if you want to volunteer, they work with the Minister of Defense for the people that want to volunteer for temporary guard or military service. All of it through Radio Free Ukraine because they're working directly with the Ukrainian government. Um, and what's the best way for folks to to access that? I know you have a link on your website, michaelhawk.com. Is that the simplest way for folks to uh, to get there? Well, just, just Google Radio Free Ukraine, Radio Free Ukraine, and they'll be able to get there. All right. Um, last question about Russia, Ukraine, then I want to pick your brain on one or two other issues. There <laughs> were reports that the uh, the United States, and it appears it doesn't appear to be much doubt about this, was provi- is providing intelligence reports to the Ukrainian military that's been helping the Ukrainian in some of their key victories. Some folks were critical of media outlets like the New York Times for publishing this story, saying that it could endanger national security. Where do you come down on this? Do you think the American people have a right to know and the American media has a right to publish this? Or should they have not uh, published these leaks, that these reports that are based on leaks? Well, I mean, it's it's a double edged sword, right? Like so during World War Two, when the whole world was at jeopardy, you know, the operational security or OPSEC, we say, you know, was very vital. Um, this is a little bit different because Russia is putting out massive lies, falsehoods, propaganda. And so it's very important that the true news be put out to counter that, that shows the world, or at least those people that are sitting on the fence, unsure, undecided that, hey, there are lots of people working together, including, you know, like right now, there's Russian people who live near that are helping Ukrainians to get out, just like we had the underground during World War II. So in this particular instance, the Russians know we're helping. They don't know how much. The key in the operational security is that we don't tell them exactly what we know and exactly uh, where we got it or how we got it. We're just letting them have some information that they may find useful. So in saying that we're working together with them like that, I don't think that is a disservice. We want to make a strong message to Russia that Americans in general stand with Ukraine and against Russia. So I think it's okay in this case. 
In, um, you know, I made a decision recently that I'm not paying for any more streaming services because it seems like all these streaming services have one show that I want to watch. So I got to get Netflix to watch Ozark. I got to get Paramount Plus to watch uh, Picard. I have to get uh, Amazon to watch uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So now I I have all these streaming services. And I I said a while ago, I'm not buying any more. However... Uh, because of uh, a tweet that you put out, you may have actually caused me to want to purchase Fox Nation. You are apparently <laughs> a contributor to this new Kelsey Grammer show. And I love Kelsey Grammer. He's been a guest on this show. I've been following him for years in which um, you guys go through various aspects of American military history. I didn't know anything about this show until you tweeted about it. Tell me about this. What is this show and what's your role? Well, I'm I'm simply one of many contributors. They have all kinds of, you know, military generals, historians, experts of, of various classes. Um, so the main thing is it's a very well done, high production value reenactment um, with, of course, you know, Kelsey Grammer and his wonderful voice narrating and telling the story. And then they, you know, have little snippets of interviews with experts that just give a little bit more feel. So I'm just speaking to what it would have been like, you know, in those days for those guys to be fighting sort of like guerrilla warfare type um, battles, as well as how it would have been to survive in those environments with, with the gear that they had at the time. So I'm just contributing a little bit. The, the real meat and potatoes is with Kelsey and the other experts, I'd say. But it's a very good show and worth watching. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds terrific. And the preview that they put out there uh, looks uh, looks really terrific. Uh, the show is called Kelsey Grammer's Historic Battles for America. It just debuted uh, a week or so ago. It looks terrific. I can't wait to watch it. Do you think as a whole, Americans need to learn more about American history? Oh, absolutely. I think it's one of those things, you know, now that I'm a old crusty cotton top, you know, you look back and you, you realize how much you don't really know. And then as you get older, you start to appreciate the smaller things and the subtle details. So in my opinion, though, you know, the way that technology is changing, the way that media can present things again, um, I think it's very good that every generation revisit their history, look at it through new eyes, through new understandings so that we can grow better and avoid the mistakes of history, ideally. So I think this is a fantastic show and a great way to not only reach, you know, folks like ourselves who just find it interesting, but hopefully some of the younger generation as well. Uh, you know, it's it's absolutely right. It's funny. One of the, the women that just had this long run on Jeopardy, she knew all about American history, even though that she was from Canada. And I just wonder how many even very, very bright Americans could have been able to match her knowledge of American history, even though they were born here. And I suspect very few. Uh, I also have to ask you about uh, about your ability to learn and teach language. Uh, I know when you were in the military, you were uh, you, you were certified to speak at least four different languages, I think as many as seven. I think a lot of Americans have a tough time being fluent in more than one or two languages. If folks are interested in learning a language or teaching a language to their child, for instance, what are some tips that you might give them in a way that makes it a little bit more manageable? Well, I mean, let me just back up and say, first and foremost, I I speak English and bad English. So let's put that on the table. Right. But um, what I do have is ability to learn a language quickly, functionally. I wouldn't say it was fluent. I wouldn't say it was pretty, but I've absolutely worked 
solely in those languages in combat environments and be able to communicate everything that I need. So in that respect, I know that it works. For me, you know, there's there's two approaches to it. And one is, you know, the old-fashioned way where you spend two years studying the basics. A is for Apple, B is for Bumblebee. And my technique is like, okay, how many words do I actually use on a daily basis? About 200. What are those? Some nouns, adjectives, a few verbs, you know, a, a couple of connecting words. So let me write those down and start learning those. So I can do the same with the other languages. And that's really what happens is you, you use like my little cheat book there, uh, you know, what's it called? The Quick and Dirty Guide Learn Foreign Languages Fast. It's been a like bestseller for like 20 years just because it's so easy and simple. And you just fill it out with whatever language you're studying and then go through the thing, all the, the protocols I put out in there for you. And in seven days, you can function. And that's where the magic comes. Once you can start talking to another human being, even if it's kind of rudimentary, um, you get the satisfaction of seeing their face light up when you're saying things that they understand mm-hmm. and you're communicating. And that's when people start to dig into the dictionary and watch more shows and listen to more music and really, really learn it. So my technique for everybody is, hey, get your toe in the water first where you, where you can just say things. That's what makes kids interested in learning, not spending a whole year learning all the grammar stuff before they can say the first sentence, you know, um, and that's really the trick to it. Make it fun, make it easy, and then they build if they fall in love with it. By the way, if people want to check out that book, they can, again, go to your website, michaelhawk.com. There's a link through it on there. It's also uh, one of the many books you've written that people can find on Amazon or uh, wherever else. It is interesting. You know, I'm a Star Trek fan, and I've always been intrigued of that idea on Star Trek of the universal translator. They're able to talk with anybody <laughs> from any planet and know what's going on. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, there's some speculation that we could soon see a day where that's a reality. Do you think that's true? Oh, yeah. I, I I happen to be, you know, working with some pretty special people, and we are actually working on that project right now. And uh, I don't know if we'll be reading minds anytime soon, but I think very soon we're going to have uh, some good tools for the force where they can get on the ground, talk to people at a high level, and win hearts and minds. And that's really what it's all about. All right. Um, a, a problem all over the country that we've been focusing a great deal on this program is the problem of veteran suicide. Depending on what statistic that you look at, uh, either 21 or 22 veterans every day are uh, taking their own life. This is a national crisis. And if we talked about this for four, five, six hours every day, it still wouldn't be enough time and attention spent on this as long as this problem continues unabated. Before we get into some of the solutions. Why do you think um, this is such a problem now? Why are we seeing so many Americans die at their own hand rather than in military combat? What do you, is there one root cause or is it a variety of causes? Well, I, I do believe it's, it's going to be a variety of causes and a lot of it's going to be based on you know the experiences that they had, what kind of support networks they have when they get home, that sort of thing. But I think at the end of the day, the reason we're losing so many of the soldiers, uh, they come back home and they have this issue. And it's it's a dual edged sword that, you know, you, you have the social media so you can reach out and, and get help. But you also can see all the things and all the issues and all the people that disagree with what you did and how you did it and, and badmouth it. So I think it's sort of the same problem set that our, our folks had when they came back from Vietnam. So but this one is so different because the kids go in there and you're connected to your your life through the Internet and all the other things that they had that, you know, the, the guys didn't have back in the old days. 
And it's, it's different because when I first started doing conflicts, I mean, you, you didn't have connectivity to the world. You were there and you lived in that environment until you were out of that environment. So you had kind of time to transition a little bit. When you existed in it, you were completely there in the moment. And I think the big part of this is that all these people come back and they, they, they ask themselves what they were doing there. They, they ask themselves, it's the constant thing, the survivor's guilt. You know, you have your buddies that die that you always feel were better than you. And yet here you are and you somehow don't feel worthy. And so it, it, it's a sad problem with many roots and, and I think many ways to help. There's not going to be one, you know, silver bullet that's going to cure everything. One thing that I think will go a long way towards helping is the gold shield. It's a great way that uh, private sector businesses can pitch in to help uh, folks that might be on the precipice of uh, of doing something irreversible and a great way for ordinary Americans to help. I know you're uh, the military spokesman for the gold shield. Can you explain what the gold shield is and uh, how folks can get involved and how they how they can help? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've lost many friends to taking their own life. And, and, and especially what blows me away is the ones who've been through six or seven tours of duty in a war zone, survived many firefights, they actually retire and then come home. And in the quiet moments when they can think is when they take their own lives. And, and it's heartbreaking to me. And, and it's happened to me a number of times. So when Gold Shield reached out to me, I'm like, amen, count me in. So the way that Gold Shield works is so simple. And, and its simplicity is, is part of its beauty. Basically, any business that cares about veterans signs up with a Gold Shield. They put it on their website. They put it in their window. And they say, we give a darn about vets and the loss of 22 vets a day. And we want to do something about it. And we are doing something about it. So when they put that gold shield in their window or on their website, it means that they are taking some of their, their profits and they are donating them to warrior foundations, to charities that help fight the PTSD and the loss of 22 a day. And what it means for the civilians and the citizens is, hey, if I'm walking down the street and I see a shoe store that has a gold shield and one next to it that doesn't, well, I'm going to go into the gold shield because I know they support veterans. And that's a direct way that everybody can simply go to the businesses that have the gold shield, knowing that those businesses are helping veterans and trying to fight the 22 a day. And when I, you mentioned something that really caught my ear, the 22 a day in, in my world is, is very powerful. It means something to us. And I think about a year or so ago, I heard 21 a day. And all of a sudden I said, man, what if we can reduce that down to none a day? Wouldn't that be something? And so that's really gold shield is all about trying to unite people to say hey this is really a terrible tragedy we've got to do something about it it does take time and dime there are people willing to help and that gold shield is all about how you can help them and how these businesses can support the veterans and if people want to learn more about it, as far as I'm concerned, it's a terrific entity. It, unlike a lot of groups that are just begging for money or begging for a government handout, and I'm not knocking that. There's a lot of worthy groups that are worthy of funding. Uh, this is a great way uh, not requiring taxpayer dollars for individuals to make an important choice to help veterans and a great way for businesses to uh, make a great choice to help veterans. They can go to the simpletruth.us. That's the simpletruth.us. U.S. Michael, uh, a real treat talking to you, and uh, I appreciate the time this morning. I hope we can do this again soon. Yes, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and thanks for what you do.
Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano, taking you until 5 o'clock this morning uh, when you'll get to hear the WABC early news with Deb Valentine, a very interesting guest on the uh, WABC early news today. Um, they are go- Deb is going to talk with John Paul Mac Isaac. Do you know who that is? Um, this is the guy in Delaware that owned the computer store that Hunter Biden drunkenly staggered into his shop and wanted his laptop repaired. And he's the one that set up this whole firestorm. On about Hunter Biden. So I'm looking forward to hearing that interview. That should be uh, really captivating. That's coming up at uh, 5 o'clock this morning. Don't miss it. And uh, it should certainly be interesting. Uh, he's done a series of, of interesting appearances so far, and this promises to be no different. All right. We're going to get to your calls in a minute. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. want to thank a lot of you who were kind enough to ask after our cat, Melchizedek. And uh, if you didn't hear yesterday's show, essentially... On Friday, my wife uh, felt that uh, Melky was walking around as if he had a head injury, and she took him to an emergency vet. Cost us a fortune. They took all his levels. They didn't tell us very much. Essentially, the only thing they told us is we're not sure that we don't know that he's still diabetic, and maybe you should stop giving him insulin uh, because it's making his blood sugar too low. But it was really just a theory. And uh, they said uh, the levels they took from his blood were potentially out of whack because he was so uh, out of sorts at being at the vet. So that was that. They give us some medication, which he refuses to take, and some other medication that we can get into his foods, mostly probiotics. So that was Friday into Saturday. We got him home Saturday. He's been delightful, very warm with both of us since then. So on, what's today? Today's now Tuesday, right? So Monday, all day, my wife is remarking how... He keeps trying to go to the litter box and crouch down like he's trying to urinate or defecate, but nothing's coming out. So she's very concerned. This is her firstborn. He just had a birthday uh, May 1st. I think he was 13. But she's very concerned. So she calls the vet and she calls the same vet. I said, are you going to call his normal vet or are you going to call the vet that you took him to? She says, well, no. I'm going to call the vet that I took him to this weekend. They examined him. So she calls the vet, and I don't know what we were expecting them to say, but the vet says, all right, you better bring him in. Now, this cat is very temperamental. He's very difficult to get in his cat carrier. So my wife is, again, able to get him into his cat carrier, which is a whole production, 
a whole ordeal. So he gets into the cat carrier. She brings him to the vet, waits there a while because there's a lot of people with veterinary emergencies. And, um, you know, I stay with Carmine. We go for a walk. We have some quality time with one another. But um, my wife comes back around 830 or so with the cat. He didn't have to stay overnight. And it's very complicated. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Essentially, we spent another $1,000 for them to examine him. $1,000 we don't really have right now. And for them to say they don't know what's wrong. Now, they were able to uh, take some uh, measurements. I don't know if it was a sonogram or a CAT scan, whatever it was, and look at his insides. And they said that um, that it's uh, – it, I forget what it was. It's very thick. And they think maybe he was just constipated. It could be that. Or he's also been experiencing diarrhea. They think it could be irritable bowel syndrome. Or, this is very concerning, it was a very emotional day in our house yesterday, very stressful day in our house because of this, they think it might even be some sort of cancer, some sort of lymphoma. So, um, $1,000, they examined him, and we still don't really know what's the matter with him. They gave us some more medication, which he still is not going to take. So, they referred us to another specialist, so we're going to try and get him there. I'm not sure when. But needless to say, uh, my wife was beside herself. Totally, totally freaking out. And, deserve, you know, rightly so. I mean, Melky is uh, a member of our family, and he's you know, somebody that we're very close to. So we, we're not sure what, what happens next, but we're going to try and get him again in this cat carrier, get him again to a specialist, and what my wife said, she's not sure why, and I'm, I'm, it escapes me because it was just such, it was quick, and I was trying to leave for work, and I was exhausted, and it was very stressful. I don't know what type of um, blueprint it was, if it was a CAT scan or a sonogram or whatever, whatever it was. I'm not sure why he needs to get this done again at the specialist, why he can't use the existing one, but every time they sedate him so that he could be examined, it's a big uh, production, so that's what we're dealing with um, now. So uh, those of you that pray, say a prayer for him because it's a very trying time in the Morano household. Maybe he'll just feel better. Maybe now that he's off the insulin for a couple of days, maybe now that his blood sugar can regulate a little bit, maybe he can get back to some semblance of normalcy, and um, he won't d- keep doing that, but... We'll see. We'll see where we go. Every day is a different day. I felt bad uh, for my wife because she had a painter that was scheduled to come today to paint our ceilings. But obviously, because we just spent $1,000 on the on the cat, we can't afford to pay him. So she found this painter that she really liked, and that was giving us a pretty good deal. And so she said, oh, you know, I called so-and-so. We had to cancel him. But um, obviously, it's worth it if the cat gets better. But I'm really concerned, to be honest, at the lack of a concrete answer as to what is the matter with the cat. So we'll see where we go. Those of you that are holding, uh, I will get to you uh, after the top of the hour. If you want to be heard on anything we have covered thus far, from um, immigration to cats to frazzled kids to veteran suicide 
to whether or not there should be requirements for a job in maximum security prisons, give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for thanks for listening. So I still read the um, New York radio message board. I, I love to torture myself with the comments that are on there. And um, there's an interesting piece about this radio station in South Carolina. I'm actually familiar with this radio station. This radio station in South Carolina, W O E Z in Burton, South Carolina, on the Atlantic coast near Hilton Head Island. My uh, my family uh, used to vacation in Hilton Head Island when I was a child. In fact, I think my dad and stepmother may still go down there. Um, it's between Charleston and Savannah. This station's owned by Saga Communications. Uh, it's a medium-sized broadcaster. It's not a blowtorch station like this one. But if you tune in to that station... Right around now. Do you know what you'll hear? You will hear something that sounds very similar to this. That's right. It's not a joke. At least we don't think it's a joke. This AC station, adult contemporary station, 93.7 down there, has decided that they are going to play nature sounds overnight, including rain and thunder. The head of Saga Communications, Ed Christian, says he wants to help people get sleep. Boy, I hope John Katzmatidis is not listening to this. The company is hoping a mattress store or similar client signs up. They would get two spots per hour so it doesn't interfere much with the nature sounds. Now, it is interesting. It's an interesting idea. I'm curious how this works out. Christian, Ed Christian says... Radio needs to try different thinking. Um, I agree with that, that radio does need to try different thinking. And as you know, I am on a one-man mission to save terrestrial talk radio, to save terrestrial radio in general, because you know what it kills me is radio is a wonderful thing. To me, I don't think there's anything more exciting than scanning the radio dial up and down and discovering something new. It's just wonderful. And we've done whole segments on that before about the most interesting thing you've ever discovered by accident. But now, with more and more people listening on through their smartphone or through their computer, if you want to hear WABC, you go out and look for WABC. But it's very difficult to just discover. And that's where the magic of terrestrial radio comes in. So, um, it got me thinking... 
what Ed Christian says in this article in Inside Radio got me thinking. He says, and I agree with him, that radio needs to try different thinking. And so, you know, we had a consultant at a station I worked for one time that said you should have one hour in the morning of just traffic, just traffic. I thought it was the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard, but at least it was different. Another consultant said of Curtis and one of his partners, this is not at this station, it was not Ron Kuby or either of the two partners he's partnered with now, um, said of Curtis and one of his partners, they weren't fighting enough. So do you know what this consultant actually suggested? He said, Curtis, you're such a larger-than-life presence. What you should do is you and this co-host of yours should be in separate rooms so that you fight more. (sighs) Now, think about what a stupid idea that is. What a mama Luke. I, I don't want I, you can guess where Curtis told that consultant to go. Um, but it, it got me thinking, though, what are some different things that radio can try? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Something different, something that's out of the box that radio can try. One of the guys that's been a leader on this, and I'm not being facetious here, has been Tom from the Bronx. Tom from the Bronx has repeatedly said, and I think it's because he doesn't have cable or anything, that there's a lot of great programming that's only carried on television, not on radio. Every July 4th, and I I suggested this to our station last year, now that we have a new program director, I'm going to make the same suggestion this year. Every July 4th, I make the same uh, suggestion. Why is the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest not carried on the radio? As I was driving back from Long Island on Saturday night, we were going up and down the dial, all the sports stations. We couldn't find the Kentucky Derby to listen to. I think radio misses the boat on a lot of that stuff. So whether it's the all-traffic hour or whether it's um, what Ed Christian is saying of all-nature sound radio or whether it's my idea of carrying the hot dogs eating contest on July 4th, what do you think radio could be doing differently? What would you do? out-of-the-box thinking, and I don't want to hear, oh, we need hosts that are more conservative or more liberal or whatever. I want to hear something really different and creative. Say what you want about the all-traffic hour. Say what you want about the all-nature sound overnight. It's different. That's what I'm wanting to hear your ideas about. What's different? 800-848-9222. It's similar to a suggestion that um, that uh, Michael Harrison of Talkers had with um, Jim Bohannon. Jim Bohannon's been a syndicated late night, not on against me, but a syndicated late night uh, radio talk show host for many years. He took over sort of for Larry King. And Jim Bohannon was on Michael Harrison's podcast, and I've been a guest on this podcast as well. And Michael Harrison's a great guy, and he's certainly been very good for me. In fact, he good to me. He's invited me to be on one of the panels at the Talkers Convention this year, next month, which I'm looking forward to being out on Long Island. But let me. Um, this is a conversation that I was listening to a couple of weeks ago when I was listening to Michael Harrison and Jim Bohannon. Listen to what Michael Harrison asks Jim Bohannon. What do you think radio should be doing to take itself forward? I've, I've never been a, a deep thinker about uh, programming. I've always let uh, bosses handle that. But other than 
dividing further into more uh, minutiae of differences. Uh, I'm not really sure what else that, uh, that I would do. Uh, I'm not really sure that radio does anything that we could uh, do head to head with with television, and we we couldn't afford the economics of, for example, doing uh, doing sitcoms without, of course, a visual aspect. Even if even if we we could put forward something that was that compelling, I mean, how would we pay for for all of the actors? I mean, the actors uh, these days would would all be members of of a SAG AFTRA. Full disclosure: I am a member of the the industry union, and I certainly support the wonderful things that they've done uh, for pay and, and benefits, but uh, those things that have been done to create uh, wonderful living wages and certainly far beyond that for the, the stars of television, to, uh, radio uh, wouldn't be able to generate enough audience, I don't think, to be able to generate the revenue from advertising that would lead uh, to uh, a, a, a return to, let's say, large-scale acting on radio, uh, things like uh, the old... Uh, uh, CBS Mystery Theater, for example. I'm not sure how that that made a go of it economically, and I'm not sure how we would do that today. I, I'm probably pretty much stuck in the past and a, and a creature of that past. The short answer is, I'm not sure what we would do differently. So I thought that was a really good question by Michael Harrison and a very poor answer by Jim Bohannon. And at least Jim Bohannon gave some explanation as to why he couldn't come up with anything, but it really wasn't out of the box. So I'm going to ask you the same question that Michael Harrison asked Jim Bohannon. What do you think radio should be doing to move itself forward? That is the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Let me begin with Chris in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Yeah, he kind of just said what I was thinking, kind of. Like, I was thinking, like, a, a sitcom on the radio would be cool, but, I mean, if it's not going to be able to, you know, if they're not going to be able to afford to, to put it on or whatever, I guess not. But I, I wouldn't mind listening to a sitcom, like, like back in the 50s or whatever. You can hear, you know, actors and, uh, like, an, you know, a real sitcom going on. And then you could record it, and, like, people don't catch it. They could watch it, could listen to the podcast and stuff like that. I, I thought that would be cool, but... Well, hey, look, they say everything old is new again, so just because Jim Bohannon said it wouldn't work doesn't mean that it wouldn't. Maybe maybe that is the direction that we need to be going to move radio forward. Thank you, Chris. 800-848-WABC. What do you think? Uh, 1-800-848-9222. Uh, Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, the important thing about your cat. My cat has a very similar... By the way, cats have urinary problems all over the board. Most of it is caused by stress. Right now, I have a cat on Prozac, and it's doing very well, changing a lot of things. Uh, there's also a spray called Feel-Away Comfort Zone, which is a pheromone, and it calms them right down. That might work a lot. Okay, well, yeah, we've been using that, and that is helpful in getting him into the carrier, but we'll see. Yeah, another thing about the carrier, use a dog carrier, a huge dog carrier. It's very hard to get him in those small things. You can even just put him into a dog carrier and carry it in. Okay, all right. Thank you, Rick. Okay. All right, now about uh, the defense, self-defense thing. Clear, you know, clearly, you can see that the states are not friendly towards self-defense, so you got to be careful what you use. I got my uh, nephew as a cop, and he cautioned me. He said, "You got to, you got to throw this away." I had 
filled up a super soaker with Drano for against home invasion. And he said, I'd go to jail for 20 years using it. You can't use something dangerous even to protect yourself. Well, I, I know, but pepper spray, you can use pepper spray. No, in no, we were talking about other things like hairspray. Okay, no, well, I'm, I'm talking specifically like about... About pepper spray. Other folks brought up other things. Thank you, though, Rick. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Dan is in Tom's River. Hello, Dan. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, so you're talking about uh, different things you could do on radio to make it a little bit more interesting. Well, no, no, no. Uh, I think radio ago. is plenty interesting. I'm asking the same question that, um, you know, that um, that Michael Harrison asked Jim Bohannon. What do you think radio should be doing to move itself forward? That's the question I'm asking. Well, yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, no doubt. There's, there was a skit years ago that Monty Python did that I thought was pretty funny. These people would pay money to go into an office to get into an argument with someone. And these were circular arguments. It would just go round and round and round. It would totally fluster the person, the payer. And it, it, it was very entertaining. And if you ever get a chance to see the skit, and I thought it was kind of funny and it would make a lot of sense to uh, do something like that on the radio to keep people laughing, entertained, and uh, you could be pretty creative with it. So I, I like Monty Python, but I have not, um, I have not seen, uh, I have not seen that one. So basically, it's, um, it would be, it would be what people would, you'd record conversations of of folks going into an office and, and having arguments with one another? Yeah, or you could do it on the radio. They could call you up and argue with you. I want to argue about blank, and you would be – you're a pretty smart guy. You would be able to just make the argument continue and go on and on and on, and then when your time is up, ding, you're done. Or you could pay for more argument time. Okay, that's, uh, that's interesting, Dan. I feel like people do that with me already. I feel like I don't even say anything bad, and people are always calling and uh, and arguing with me anyway. 800-848-WABC, what would you do if you were in charge of radio in order to help uh, an out-of-the-box idea for radio to move itself forward? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say hello to Dan in Rego Park. Hello, Dan. Thanks taking it. Uh, regarding uh, the pepper spray, if John or uh, Curtis starts distributing it, it, the authorities will crack down. Well, now, this it, is a it's... prime example of what Sam Francis called anarcho-tyranny. The state will let the, per, per, the real bad guys get away with murder and crack down with the poor innocent people like me and you. All right. Well, I don't think Curtis is going to be too worried about uh, then cracking down. No, he's been he he's been arrested seventy seven times already. So uh, I think uh, I think he'd be just fine with that, uh, Dan. But uh, maybe you're right. Um, Sean is in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean. Yeah. Uh, as far as radio is concerned, um, I don't know. I thought of like you know, uh, you know, people even like a show like this. You know, when people are calling up. Uh, and talking about things that they're interested in, why not have a special radio station for specific things? So as an example, I always thought, like music, I'm a big music buff, if they had, uh, you know, um, about a particular band, people calling in, not listening to music, but just talking about the band and talking about the history and talking about the songs and all that kind of stuff. And 
I think, um, you know, you have people that have such, uh, you know, interest in that and also uh, are just really, really in love with the things that they're interested in. Uh, I think you can find a niche for different. Well, uh, so I, I don't know that I'm clear exactly, Sean. So you want a radio station where people can call in and talk about bands? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be just bands. This is just one example. You can have people calling in that are interested in, you know, XYZ. It doesn't have to be music. It could be whatever. Um, and, and you know, people just talking about those things, you know. I mean, uh, you know, there's such a wide variety of things that people, you know, we do with sports all the time. People call in, let's talk about the Yankees, let's talk about the Mets. Um, but, like, let's broaden that into other things. You know, maybe people are interested in cooking. Let's talk about different recipes. You know, I mean, who knows, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, who knows indeed, Sean? Who knows indeed? 800-848-WABC. Ross is in the Bronx. Hello, Ross. Yeah, hello. Hi. Hey, oh, Frank, okay. Yeah, uh, the, the, the last caller had the same exact idea that I had. Well, I, I'm not even I, sure I, what I, the I, idea was. It sounds like he's describing every talk, like every call-in talk show that I that I know of. Well, I would I would just be, be like you have uh, sports radio. It would be like music radio. People discuss music. Maybe you could have guests on, uh, but... Frankie right, but, but so, like, you know, mm-hmm. Cousin Brucey does that for four hours. Doesn't Vinny Madugno do that? I mean, they have musicians on, they play music, they talk about music. Joe Piscopo does that. Dina Martin does that. Isn't that what all those guys are doing? I guess I'm not seeing what's different than what's already being done. Well, it would be, there's a lot of difference in terms of a lot more listener or participation or input regarding the musicians and the bands. I don't really hear, I hear people call in and uh, request a song on Cousin Brucey and that. They really don't get into the meat and bones of it. Like people talk about the New York Yankees all day on sports radio or their favorite sports teams or their players. Who has a better batting average? All right. So if you were to boil this down to one sentence, it's have a radio station on where they talk about music. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. I, I, I mean, that's I, I honestly I feel like there's a lot of that. And that's not necessarily the kind of out of the box idea. And I'm not knocking it, but it's not really the kind of out of the box idea flash of genius moment that I was I was at least hoping to elicit. 800-848-9222. Robert is in New Jersey. Hello, Robert. Hello, Frank. I love you. I love your show. I think you're the best radio talk show host out there, and I love listening to you every day. Well, thank you. There's no accounting for taste, I suppose. Thank you. Thank you. This is something I've been thinking about for a long time, and it might not be the, might not be the most original idea, but I really think it would have arms and legs. Do you watch Law & Order? I have seen it, but I don't watch it regularly. Okay. I'm addicted to it. I would love a 30-minute interview, either on your show or on 60 Minutes with Dick Wolf. You know, how did you come up with the idea? How do you come up with every episode? And then also Christopher Lloyd, who came up with the concept for um, so many comedies in the 1990s, and also 
uh, Chuck Lorre, who came up with Two and a Half Men, interviewing these trailblazers in entertainment and asking them, how did you come up with the concept? How do you come up with episode after episode? And I just think it would be so interesting. And, like, um, who created um, the, uh, the Sons of Anarchy? Um, you know, who, who came up with um, Breaking Bad? Sure. Okay. No, I, I actually, I, th- I like that idea. So do more idea, do more interviews with creators of popular TV shows. Yes. I, yes. I like that. I, I, would be, I would be so interested. In, and, of course, you'd be in there because you're a trailblazer yourself. Well, uh, well, I'm not sure about that one, Robert, but I like the idea. I do. Thank you. Frank is on Long Island. Hello, Frank. Hey, Frank. I love the show, of course. Thanks. And um, I, I consider myself a connoisseur of late-night radio going way, way back, starting with Larry Glick up in New England. Yeah, WBZ. Followed yeah, I, I, sometimes yes. when people will will, will say, uh, how are you? And I'll say, hang on, let me check. I stole that from Larry check. Glick. I stole that from <laughs> yeah, him. I know. And, uh, you know, following through with uh, Larry King in the 80s. And the, the concept of like the caller just before – you know, interviewing very interesting people is is really, really interesting radio. The other thing lately, I'm not sure if you've heard this. I find myself sometimes listening to these comedy radio shows that take snippets of comedy from comedians all over the country, all over the world. I don't know if you've heard those. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, uh, I kind of like that. That's something new that I've never heard in the radio business. Well, I mean, um, I feel like I've heard that for years of people playing different cuts of comedy albums and so forth on, uh, on radio, but you, you've never heard that. I only, I've only heard that in the last five or six years. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here. All right. Uh, not bad, well, Frank. I know it's kind of interesting, but I, I really, really like very interesting people being interviewed by excellent interviewers like yourself, well, by the way. That's very kind of you, and, Frank. Uh, I appreciate and, that. And that is, that is the top quality radio on the planet. Right. Th- thank you, Frank. And, uh, and it's old school, but, but it's, it's, it's still interesting. Whenever well, I, well, no, a, I certainly agree. And uh, that's what I enjoy listening to. And thanks for the call and the compliments. Again, it's not really anything different than I feel like what's out there. I mean, maybe the, the quality of the, of the guest could be better for certain shows but, I mean, I, I think almost, also everybody on this show is interesting. That's why I invite them on. But I'm looking for something that's sort of out of the box. Out of the box. You know? What do you think? 800-848-9222. Roger is in Massachusetts. Hello, Roger. Yeah, hi. Thanks. Look, uh, during the 1930s, they used to have dance contests. They'd run 24, 36 hours or, or more, which, needless to say, towards, you know, as time went on, they would, you know, be humorous, and and Jerry Lewis would do the uh, the uh, marathon for um, uh, Jimmy Fund, I believe. And you know, after 24 hours or so, you know, you maybe start to get a little punchy, a little silly. I was wondering if, and I had thought of this a few weeks ago. You know, you take maybe either you and or Curtis, or you or Curtis, or anyone, any host that would be interested in trying, and from like Friday night, like six o'clock through Monday morning, like 5 o'clock, to see what it would be like, where the only rest you get is commercial breaks and top-of-the-hour news, and just talk and talk and talk and talk 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 about anything, drink a lot of coffee, and I don't know, it's a marathon like that, either for a fundraiser uh, or, um, or just for the fun of it. Well, I think that would actually be a lot of fun. You know, it's funny, 
I um I was looking recently at some radio related records, Roger, and uh, the, I was thinking maybe it would be fun if I were to try and break the uh, record for longest radio interview and interviewed Curtis for something like thirty hours. I think that would wow. be a lot of fun, uh, but I think we'd probably have to do it around a holiday weekend uh, so, because a lot probably have to pick a weekend that a lot of folks would want to be off. But it's a good idea, Roger. Sure. Uh, I think that is interesting. Thank you. Howie in Manhattan, um, what, what ideas do you have out of the box for the future of terrestrial radio? Okay, my name is Coach Howie, um, techno DJ, and I thought back in 1989 that hip-hop would be replaced by techno. In the 90s, and I'm thinking, you know, replace hip-hop with techno music. Replace hip-hop? But, I mean, they do play techno on the radio, though, right? No, they don't have any techno radio station at all. Is that right? No. I didn't know that. No. I, I didn't know that they no. had and no it's, it's, it's a, If it is, then it's like bubblegum music. It's not real techno. No, they have no techno radio station at all. I thought they were going to have one back in the 80s. You know, replace hip-hop with techno. That's what that's what techno is anyway. It's hip-hop and disco mixed together. Replace that hip-hop because you can't dance to it anymore. It's pretty much trouble and garbage. And uh, okay. It promotes, All right. So that, that's some, something to put on the list there. Al in Manhattan, hello. Hey, Frank, what's going on? Not so, much. I have an idea. I have two ideas. The first one, you got to do these in 15-minute segments. Uh I would put on the most lame opinions, the out-of-this-world kind of uh, theories, and just play it for 15 minutes. Everybody would get a kick out of that. Now, uh, like um, some of the people I was talking today about what they would do to to enhance radio. I mean, some of the things that I just heard were pretty funny. And uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is uh, I would name it. What idiot came up with that idea? Okay. So, what, what is it? the, let's say, what idiot came up with the running, who <laughs> invented things like that? So people get a little feel for what's going on here, because there's so many idiotic things going on that you could bring it to light. Sort of like an, an, an adult version of Kids Say the Darndest Things. Kind of, but this they put this into action, though. So somebody comes up with an idea. Oh, that guy ran a red light. Oh, let's take a picture of them. Or the people that go around now, they check to see if your car's running for more than a minute. And they have these little devices in their tie. So they go around and they get you a ticket and they get a commission out of it. So it's just crazy stuff like that. All right, Al. Thank you. Jonathan in the Bronx. Hello. I think I got a good idea. Why don't you talk about things like prison stories? About uh, the, some of the uh, gang that p- people were in prison, what, what life they had, what's going on, the different fights between the different gangs. You know, yeah, you there's know an the, individual out there yeah, and the, they make K that, Solo. I th- I he's, th- he's got excellent stories. Who, who's that? Guy who is that? Who? His name is K Solo. K? Uh, K-A-Y? K. Like, no, K, the letter K and Solo. Excellent. This gotcha. Right. Well, excellent. I, I will look into him. Thank you. About- you know, we do a lot of prison stuff on this uh, show, uh, so I will look into that, actually. That's not not fair. Rocco and Selden, hello. Yeah, Frank, does your cat go outdoors? No. Okay, so, you know, cats are, you know, they're, you know, they're brilliant. They're, they have all day to sit around and figure out how can I get more attention. Carmine's getting a lot of attention right now. The cat may be seeking attention. And I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, okay, to have no these problem. two no incidents, problem. one where 
uh, he had to go to the vet because, you know, he was acting so strangely. And then, um, you know, after two days of no longer taking insulin to uh, have difficulty going to the bathroom, I, I don't think it's he, it's attention okay. seeking. All right. I, I was just a suggestion. Right. You know, um, about the radio program, Dan, mm-hmm. I, I, 770 WABC, I'd, I'd love to have uh, Lydia back on. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not talking about specific programming suggestions. I'm talking about something that's out of the box. I mean, not you know, I, I'm less less of like a tweak to an existing format, more a whole new format, like nature sounds or wall-to-wall traffic. You get what I'm saying? Something different, 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 different. Michael is in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. Yeah, I think it would be fun maybe just to dedicate an evening or a couple of days to dialectic materialism or another evening could be redundant tautology. Um, I think that would be good. Okay, and then what would be different about it than just regular regular talk? Well, because well, because it would be based on an orange health diploma with that without going into it. Wait, it would be you know based on, I mean? on your phone broke up there. It would and be that, and that would be that would be that would be subsumed by reology without even making an oblique reference to it. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's a suggestion. Okay. Just putting that out there. All right. Patrick is in Huntington. Hello, Patrick. Good morning, Frank. I was reading an article yesterday in uh, Crane's New York Business. I thought of you. Ping pong enthusiast, right? That's right. Uh, Have you heard of ping pong? Yeah, I talked about it. I talked about it when they first came out. I I said, as soon as my son starts sleeping more, I'm hoping to uh, go there after work most days because they have one right over here. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, uh, page 23, they're opening up four more locations in New York City. I didn't know you were aware of it. I think it's very exciting. Uh, Very exciting. I, I think that's a great idea. Thank you. Uh, Jacob is in Orange County. Hello, Jacob. Hi, Frank. I have a very interesting idea. Okay. I think you should have, like, once a week, one of the leaders of the Orthodox Jewish community and get a little insight what's happening in their communities. There's a lot of interesting... But there are are Orthodox Jewish radio programs, though. So how is that different from what's being done in terrestrial radio? It's actually not a lot, like, from the real Hasidic uh, uh, communities. Right. Okay. There's right. so many questions out there. People would like, oh, I think it would be very interesting if you can have something like that. All right. Well, that's not the kind of thing that we're going to do. But if somebody wants to steal that idea, you certainly have a listener with Jacob. Uh, Patrice writes, Frank, it might not be your thing or mine per se. Listen to this. This is interesting. This is what I'm talking about. It might not be your thing or mine per se, but gaming. People are immense gamers and can talk about it all day. My son, a fellow Staten Islander and big YouTube gaming influencer on YouTube, with a great radio voice, has over 450,000 followers. See, that's interesting. That's something that I don't know that they're doing on radio. I, I don't know that there's a gaming radio station. There's sports talk stations. There's business talk stations. There's all news stations. There's political talk. But I don't know that there's a station that does all gaming talk. That is interesting. That's the kind of out of the box idea that I'm talking about. So, uh, 
I think it's interesting. All right. Those of you that are holding, you're welcome to continue to hold. We're going to give one lucky person an opportunity to win $1,000 in just a minute. If you want to be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-9222, then you will get an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And if you can do so, then we're going to give you $1,000. Simple as that. Be the seventh caller now to 800-848-9222, and we will give you an opportunity to win $1,000 as part of the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hey, I can't find nothing on the radio. Uh, You'll turn to that station. The world is collapsing around our ears. I turned up the radio. I can't hear it. This is REM. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the radio, just join our Facebook group. Search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio um, Fans and Haters on uh, Facebook. Meantime, it is now time for one lucky person to test their wits and see if they can't win some money. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the Thousand Dollar Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet our contestant, Harvey. Hello, Harvey. Good evening, Frank. How are you today? I'm doing great. Are you feeling, uh, are you feeling so smart today? Well, I hope I can... Uh... Get those 10 out of 10 and uh, make my marks. Wonderful. Wonderful, Harvey. The key is just don't get nervous. That's the key. Try not to. Okay. Um, If if you get a question right, we're just going to move on to the next one. And then um, we'll keep going until you uh, hopefully get them all right. Now, um, the timer will begin after I ask the first question. And then we'll keep going. If you get a question right, we're just moving on to the next one. You ready to go? Yes, I am. Okay. All right. Sure. Name a Disney character. Mickey Mouse. What flower is most gifted on Valentine's Day? Rose. What's the name of the 1993 movie about dinosaurs? Oh, jeez. Hmm. Can't think of it, Frank. Oh, come on, take Not a, a guess. Guy. Starts with a J. Uh, starts with a what? J. Uh, oh, Jurassic Park. How many playing cards are in a full deck? Fifty-two. 
Um, and um, what continent touches Asia? Um, Asia. 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 Oh, God. Can I get a hint, Frank, please? Uh, unfortunately, we're at, we're out of time. Uh, I actually okay. probably would have gotten in trouble for giving you the hint that I gave you. Europe. Okay. Europe touches Asia. Europe. Okay. Europe. All right. Um, Harvey, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to give you a, a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight T-shirt as a participation trophy. Uh, Avery, if you would grab Harvey's information, and please, uh, we'll send him a shirt. And uh, thank you for playing, Harvey. Better luck next time. See, it's tricky. Hopefully you'll wear that shirt with pride all over the area. By the way, yesterday, I, I, you know, I cannot stop ordering stuff from the WABC radio store. And it's now at the point whenever a package arrives at our house with my name on it, my wife, who thinks we have too much clutter as it is, she just tosses it at me along while she rolls her eyes. So yesterday... We got the brand new WABC beach towel. Boy, is this thing cool. Really neat. So if you want to get any of the merchandise, either for the other side of midnight or the the show or the station in general, right now I'm wearing the Studio 77 bomber jacket. I must say, not only very stylish, looks it's pretty comfortable. So um, if you want to get any of this stuff, just go to WABCRadioStore.com. And if you use the discount code FRANK15, then you will be treated to a pretty hefty discount of about 15%. FRANK15. All right. Hey, uh, yesterday I told you the story about how on Saturday I did the only thing worse than drunkenly eat. Because when obviously you don't want to eat while you're drunk because then you overeat and you put on weight. So I did a little bit of that on Saturday. But here's where I was really at fault. I was drunk ordering on Saturday, right? And I ordered, I said, uh, apparently, some of my friends corrected me. I thought that I ordered three pizzas. I ordered four pizzas and Japanese food. And I, you know, had friends over. They were doing their part to eat as much as they can. But, you know, with five adults and one child, you really can't eat through four pizzas and Japanese food. So... More than one person remarked to me how that Saturday episode was eerily similar to a particular Thanksgiving on the Bob Newhart show. Hey, I know what. Why don't we set out for some Chinese food, guys? Oh, I got the number of a great little Chinese place. Well, let's call them. It's a laundry. <laughs> Why don't we send out for some pizza? Uh, you said you said pizza. Do you want to say pizza, but you said pizza, didn't you, Bobby? You said pizza, Howard. Hello, hello is, it, is this the house of who? I'd like to order, order some Chinese food. What do you want? Howard wants pizza. No, I don't. I want some Mugu Guy Pan. Did you, did you hear what Howard wants? Moogoo Guy Pan. That's what I want too, Dr. Jerry Robinson wants Moogoo Guy Pan. And, uh, and more Moogoo Guy Pan. You were just that long. He said Moogoo Goo Goo. He said Moogoo Goo Goo. Goo. That's right. He said Moogoo Goo Goo. 
maybe I'm ordering Chinese baby food. I'll have the sweet and sour pork. Make up your mind, Mr. Collins. <laughs> okay, I'll have the mugu guy pan. More mugu guy pan. It's a romaki. Romaki. Uh, I'll have another mugu guy pan. More good to go. My name is, uh, is, Bob, is Bob Hartley. It's in, it's in the book. <laughs> Dur Bob Hartley. Dur. D R period. Thank you very much. <laughs> that is a pretty close approximation to my Saturday night. The only difference was it was Japanese food and not Chinese food. Other than that. That that sting that strikes me as pretty close to reality, and it was done just via virtually on my mobile phone, just through the Slice app and the Uber Eats app, not through calling and trying to talk to a person. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Mike is in New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning, Frank. I'd like to talk about Melchior, and then I have some. I listen to you all the time. Programming thoughts. Um, I have two cats. It's always difficult to get them in the cat carrier. But you know cats. They like your favorite chair. They like your couch. They sleep in your bed. If you take the cat carrier and either remove the door or, or leave the door open and make it part of their play environment, either with string or whatever, that's one tactic. And then another one I use, I put out a towel. I sprinkle a little catnip on it. One of them comes up to it. And I scoop them up egg roll style and just I turn the cage up vertically. I slip them in. It's never really going to be easy, but there are ways to tactically accomplish it. I do it all the time. I have two. And they're indoor, outdoor. They're like jungle cats. Oh, well, I mean, look, um, the last two days on um, on Friday and uh, Saturday, my wife has been doing pretty well. Not Friday, Saturday, Friday and Monday. My wife's been doing pretty well at getting Melchizedek into the carrier, maybe because he was sick. But um, but, you know, I, I so that at least for the time being seems to be one of the problems that we don't have. Oh, OK. I misunderstood you. And I said Melchior. I didn't I forgot Mel- Melchizedek. In terms of your program, Frank, I've been listening well, no, no. all night. Uh, yeah, and, and again, I wasn't necessarily looking for changes to this show. I'm looking for changes, you know, or no, not changes, but I'm asking the same question that Michael Harrison asked Jim Bohannon. What should radio be doing that it isn't? Not, I, I'm not looking to change this show. I want to be very clear. I, I get it. I get it. And and what I wanted to say was you're already doing it. You You're already doing it. It's almost like. You're a chef, and you've got this great sauce, and you're trying to tweak it. You do politics. You do commendations. You do denunciations. You, you, you do everything. And what I think what, what keeps people interested in the show is that you do it with brevity. In other words, you cover many different topics. You're already doing it. Um, you're kind of like, in a way, the in search of, if you remember that program. Oh, sure. Well, Leonard Nimoy back in the day. You're like the in search of of overnight radio and radio. 
is is so much more fascinating. I remember it was WABC, summer of 77. I was like nine years old. I had never seen a graphic for Star Wars. I'd never heard a commercial for Star Wars. And I was doing the same thing I'm doing now. I was listening to late night radio and a Star Wars commercial came on. And it was probably like 75 seconds. And it totally fascinated me. There's something about radio, the intimacy of it. You're already doing it. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I think, frankly, I think you're the leader. I, you know, and, and as, as far as the over, like the environmental stuff, there's a market for that, but would I mean maybe Mr. Casamitidis has at least three radio stations, maybe the LAR station or something could do. I think the environmental. There are people that are seeking that. I like to doze off when I'm listening late at night, but there are some people that really want to go under. I think the, there is a market for that environmental uh, theme. Well, no, we say environmental themes. You talking about the nature sounds we played earlier? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I, I'm interested to see how this turns out. We don't want to put any more listeners to sleep than are already having a difficult time. But, Mike, thanks for your nice words. I appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, uh, got a nice tweet here from uh, legendary political consultant. We have to come up with another adjective over legendary, Obi Murray, who just tweeted a uh, – I just retweeted it so you could see. He just got his um, complimentary Other Side of Midnight T-shirt, or actually I think he might have actually bought it, uh, and a, a Frank Morano cap. And I must say they both look pretty stylish. So I just tweeted it. If you want to get yours, go to WABCRadioStore.com and use the uh, promo code FRANK15. Coming up at 5 o'clock – Deb Valentine's got the early news. I'll do the business on there. And there's a lot of news to get to. You'll want to hear it in the 5 o'clock hour. But this is going to be really interesting. She has an exclusive interview with John Paul Mac Isaac, uh, the first man with four names. So it's going to be very interesting. We've never seen a guy with four names before. We're going to ask him, where did the fourth come from? Why isn't he just John Isaac or John Paul Isaac? Why is he John Paul Mac Isaac? That's part of what they're going to focus on. But uh, in addition to being somebody with four names, he is the laptop repair shop owner that was given a laptop for repair by Hunter Biden in April of 2019. Uh, Hunter Biden apparently was even more drunk than I was when I was ordering four pizza pies and Japanese food because I at least remembered to eat the Japanese food. Hunter Biden never came back to collect his computer. So this guy was left with this laptop filled with pornography and photos of Hunter Biden smoking crack with prostitutes and all sorts of weird financial data. He's going to tell his story exclusively to Deb Valentine next hour. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's going to be certainly pretty interesting. And then uh, the Bernie and Sid show is going to be interesting from 6 to 10 as well. Bo Deedle is going to be on at uh, 740. Um, he's on every, every uh, what day is today? Tuesday, Tuesday morning. And then uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire is going to be on as well. Uh, they're talking about a fifth wave of COVID, and people are wondering what New York should do. And uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire is going to get into it in a uh, in a big way. Uh, all right, before we get to 15 seconds of fame here, let me say hello to Charlie in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Uh, hello, Frank. Uh, what I want to say quickly and briefly about it's, radio is I question the premise of the guy's question. I think radio is very good at what it does. Now, television and movie 
they can do side effects, special effects. I mean, they can, they're very good at what they can do. But like radio, as a previous caller was saying, was like theater of the mind. Like I think something like Mark Levin, for example, I was the Mark Levin show. I mean, that's great. That's like a class in, you know, constitutional conservatism every night. That's a, a certain niche. Now, people might not be interested in that, but I think radio does what it does best and should continue to do its best. I don't, I don't know if there's anything new that it can or should do because there are other forms and other venues that can, that can do different things. Like Interesting. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, it's, I don't know that I'm ready to accept that yet, though, that radio can't do anything more than it's already doing. I don't buy that. I think there is something more that could be doing. Uh, Peter on Staten Island. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank, I got three quick things. I'm going to say the most important thing first with your cat. Um, you know, with the diabetes, it's very tricky. The cat might also now have hypoglycemia. So I got a vet I use. I do a lot of rescue. I do a lot of with feral cats, and I have cats. I have cats that lived up to 30 years old. Now, uh, this guy, Dr. Frank, down by the uh, armory on Manor Road, very, very good, very honest. And maybe if they put a monitor on your cat, even that you could take home, that they could check the various the sugars because it might go up and might drop hypoglycemia. And that's what usually happens. They get constipated. They can't urinate. And the other topic uh, on is about the suggestion with the uh, fairy hawks, you know, to have like a pregame show or after show. I wouldn't say about telegraph, you know, televised, you know, listen on the radio to the game because it would take, uh, you know, Right away from attendance, and the attendance was very good that Tuesday night. There was five thousand uh, tickets sold, but there was only when you were there only a handful. I mean, it was maybe a thousand people there. A lot of people didn't show up because there was the Ranger game, the Yankee games. And yeah, and it was but they crummy bought, weather. They yeah, and bought, very quickly, Peter, what was your third point? Yeah. Okay, third, real quick, the Kentucky Derby. All right, I got screwed over very bad. I actually hit the double. That was on Saturday of the uh, 11th and 12th race, and I made about $7,000 after taxes with my friend, we were partners. But the race was the day before the Philly race. I had the winner, the one uh, with, uh, oh, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, D. Wayne Lucas. Then D. Wayne Lucas scratches out the 20 horse. I got an all race. Now, all race means I have every horse in the Kentucky Derby wheeled with this horse which is they didn't even have a price because there's not one winner because the horse that was put back in, they didn't count because it was all, not all, uh, eligible, which this is in the history of the Kentucky Derby or any race. They never put a also eligible in. That fills in for the 20. Uh, all right. I got to run. Gonna, I got to run, Peter. Yeah, I'm okay, sorry. I'm sorry about that, Peter. Sorry. 800-848-9222. We'll do 15 seconds of fame next and let you be heard on any subject for 15 seconds. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Oh, 
My thanks to Stevie G for this uh, delightful theme song. Uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. Uh, we have six, count them, six open lines, uh, which is more than we usually have at this time. So if you want to be heard for 15 seconds on any subject, now's the time to call in 800-848-9222. If you don't get through on the phones, you can email me, and we'll stay in touch that way, Morano at wabcradio.com. Or you can also find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. That's facebook.com A-N-O fan. Uh, without further ado, at 800-848-9222, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds at 800-848-WABC. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Neil is on Staten Island. Yeah, the MTA was over $2 million to Claire Invasion last year, and not one summons was written. It pays to work for the MTA. They're a bunch of morons. (laughs) Patrick in Pearl River. Google the Charles Campbell shooting at TwistedJusticeCNN.com. Charles Campbell shooting at TwistedJusticeCNN.com. Charles Campbell shooting at TwistedJusticeCNN.com. Innocent New York City cop was sent to prison. But, but you know what? I guess that's it. Not a lot of interest in 15 seconds of fame today. I don't understand how um, we don't, uh, you know, w- even when we don't take anonymous calls, that guy still keeps getting through. He must have, like, some special Janine Pirro-proof phone lines that allow him to still get through to radio shows. All right. Uh, the WABC Early News with Deb Valentine is next. Bernie and Sid coming up from 6 until 10. I'm going to be back at 1 a.m. tomorrow. I believe uh, we're going to talk to Bill O'Reilly tomorrow. Uh, Also, one of the biggest bartenders in New York City is going to be here. We'll talk about the comeback of the martini and a few other issues. Um, Well, Frank Moreno, good day.